James Allen, founder of Cityscape, an app dedicated to helping people find hidden gems, urban exploration through technology and the blockchain. Welcome today to the Learning with Lowell show. Here's a quick teaser from the episode. One thing you realize, everyone who's gotten rich, they've gotten rich by riding a wave. So, so street cred is, is literally mined by people exploring the streets, whether it's finding new data in the streets or validating data in the streets. Context not just connection. When, when people are walking the streets, man, they, they don't realize that the city is a hive. Cityscape is showing you the city in real time. If all of a sudden you look at the feed and there's a bunch of people checking in at this location, you know where the crowd is. But let's be honest here. The streets, there's potential danger. That's part of the streets. Essentially, we dig very deeply into his app, why he built it, the dangers and pitfalls, and his vision for the future, among other topics. If you want to see more content like this, subscribe, like, and comment. It all adds up. Let's stay curious and learn more about James Allen of Cityscape. How you teach math with right, right. real-world carpentry type stuff. I mean, it's very interesting. I used to build houses, so. Right, right. Um, so, <clears throat> I remember um, we were creating a, a corner desk. And it was, it was, it was a corner desk. So you have one wall, one wall. And I told a guy like cut a board for that. So we're going to create a corner desk or whatever. And he was like, well, how long should I cut the board? And I looked at him. I was like, well, you, you know, you know what to do. And he's like, what do you mean? You know what to do? I don't. And I'm like, A square, one wall plus B square is equal what? C square. Right. And then he's like, oh, you know, so like, I felt like, that's a classic example in, in carpentry where like, you know, he knew, he knew that equation, but you know, he didn't know like how to apply it, like in like real life, so to say, you know? So like, that was like, I think that moment when it hit me, like, oh, okay. Like this guy knows these formulas, but he doesn't know like how they relate to like the real world. So one of the things, you know, math is used for, right? It's a language where you could only describe certain things in that language, right? So, it, you know, if I tell you cut something like one sixteenth of an inch, I cannot use any other language but numbers to tell you that. Let's just say like um, a poor guy's walking down, down the streets, something come down and crashes on him, kills him. And you don't know how heavy that object is, or you're trying to describe the weight of that object. So you say, well, that object was like the weight of two washing machines. And when I'm like, well, what kind of washing machines is, you know, is it Samsung's? Well, no, no. Uh, well, it was like about half the size of a car. Well, what car? SUV or truck? So as opposed to if I tell you this thing weighs half a ton, you know, it's very precise. You get exactly what I'm talking about. So Math is simply a way to describe things that you cannot describe in words. Lang normal language is way too inaccurate for the mathematical description of it, right? So that's all it is. And in and, and carpentry, as you know, you're using measurements, you know, and you're using common difference and you're using elevation. You're using angles. We, we talked about slope steepness. You're using all these elements, which are basic algebra. Um, and... As you encounter these problems, you have to use math to solve them. And then as you use math to solve a carpentry problem, you understand how it relates to you. Um, another example, uh, by the way, is 
animation, you know, I write a lot of animation code and a lot of these animation code, you're using math to keep things proportionate. You're using timing functions to move things in space. Right. And like, unless you've actually used them practically to create an animation, a lot of these geometries or these trigonometries you use, you don't really know how it's relevant to you. Right. Like, I don't know if you remember your trigonometry, you have sine X plus cosine X is equal. What? R square, right? R theta. So like, how does that translate in a Cartesian coordinate, right? If I remember sine X was Y, cosine X was X, right? So what is, what is the last one? E is equal to what? Z square. That's like this, the, the depth of it, but you could, you mm -hmm. could express okay. that in pi radiant. You can express that in pi radiant. And then that's, and from this equation, you could derive all sorts of trigonometric formulas to see how to plot something in like, you know, a computer, especially if you're writing like a lot of front end code. This is like a little mm. bit more elaborate example, but the point that I'm trying to say is as you use math to do things, um, you know, you see it becomes concrete objects in your head rather than like abstractions. And until you practically use math for these things, they're just like giant abstractions to you that, you know, you won't necessarily understand what it's about. I don't know if you get it. No, it makes a lot of sense. I, I do uh, front end coding a lot with what I'm building. Right. And it, it involves 3D animation in the browser. So right. uh, what I, are you I, using, by the way? Uh, to build it? What do you mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. What are you using to build it? I'll just like just uh, straight. It's all built on JavaScript, like okay, okay. JavaScript. And there's dope, like a dope. couple of libraries that make it easy. Uh, there's one called uh, 3JS, which I really like. It right, just right. makes everything kind of like uh, vector math. And then to animate stuff, it's really easy to just uh, update the canvas, which has uh, all the stuff right. in them, uh, and whatnot. So um, that's that. I think uh, coding is one of those areas where you can really see the applicability of math. Right. Um, uh, Carpenter is one of them. Have you ever met someone? I think this is like, I'm somewhat touching on something we discussed previously to this. But uh, have you ever met someone who you could get to have practical applications of math who didn't end up enjoying it? You know, if someone like really like, but then I, like we're like really self-selecting in of survivorship bias about someone who would be open to hearing it, to be open to see a real world application example of it. But I think at, so there is a pretty small pie, but I think I would imagine <laughs> that every person you meet who's willing to do that would, would end up enjoying that that approach to learning math. No, no, because I, I think there's certain math where it's no longer enjoyable for some people. I, I think when you start to get to, um, when you start to get to like perhaps calculus or even pre-calculus where you're dealing with hyperbolas or parabolas or, you know, when you're dealing with limits is things approaches zero and it goes to infinity. Or, you know, if, if I were to tell someone, how would you explain what a derivative is for an example, a very simple concept, the rate of change. And, but how do you apply that? So the rate of change of velocity is acceleration. I don't know if you see that. The rate of change of distance in time is speed. The rate of change of mm -hmm. speed is acceleration. That's the second derivative of that. Or another example would be um, uh, the rate of change of work is power, you know, because work, you know, work is force times distance. Power is basically how much work you do per second. So that's just the derivative of work is power, right? So at this level, I think once you start getting to these level of abstractions, and that's very simple calculus, right? That's level one calculus. We're not even talking about like any transforms or something like that. I'm sure if you've taken calculus too, you've dealt with 
you know, a Fourier transform, if you double calculus three, that what Laplace transforms even more. I'm not there yet. I'm well, excited to get there though. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, a trans like a Laplace transform, it basically takes, um, uh, it takes a, it takes a multivariate equation and turns it into a linear equation, right? It, it turns things into simple linear equations. You know, I, I think your ear, your cochlear is actually doing um, a, a transform. It takes complex sounds and basically breaks them down into simple sine waves, the sum mm -hmm. of simple sine waves. So that's a transform. But that's, that's I think that's calculus two or three. But what I'm trying to say is this, like once you start getting to like abstractions and calculus is very abstract, right? You're talking about the rate of change. Uh, you're talking about um, uh, the limit of something as, as it approaches a certain value. Um this is very abstract, right? And some people, they don't have that kind of abstraction power. They're they're much more hands-on. So I have met people who, once they start reaching that level of abstraction, math is terribly unenjoyable to them. And they would rather back to crunching numbers because algebra and trigonometry and so on, it's all about manipulating equations as opposed to like calculus. When you're doing things like related rates, for an example, you're solving um, uh, very interesting problems a lot of it's abstract and if you can't visualize it and it, 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 you know it, it's very tough so yes i have met people who you are because you are giving them real applications of mathematics because like i said when your car how your car determines your acceleration is by taking the first derivative of your speed right the rate of change of your speed is your acceleration so that's a real life application of calculus every day while you're driving uh but at that level, people don't enjoy math because like, what do you mean? Like the rate of change. Another way to look at derivatives, by the way, is you don't even have to see it as a rate of change. You could look at the derivative as a way of turning a, a nonlinear, of determining the slope of a nonlinear equation at a particular point. So, you know, if, if, if you have a straight line, you could easily calculate the slope rise over run easy but let's just say you have like a squiggly line that's all over mm -hmm. that line has no slope you can't really say it has an incline or a decline or it's flat because it's non-linear derivative allows you to find a slope of a non-linear equation at a very specific point right that's that's another real life practical application of derivative so you could do enormous calculus um uh, with that kind of stuff extremely powerful in all sorts of applications from gps to space like it's it's enormous but again what do you mean find the slope of a non-linear equation at a certain point too abstract for some people and that turns them off and they quickly steer away from math at that point in my opinion yeah so there but it does sound like there is a level where it is generally enjoyable like beyond yeah. just you know two apples plus two apples equals four apples and just basic accounting there's a level where it is kind of fun to know that you've seen. Like, I would say they, algebra. Yeah. Algebra is, I think algebra is like, um, it's, it's a good way of thinking about like people too. I think people are kind of like algebraic equations, but maybe they're mm. more like, maybe after I've learned, learned more about calculus, I'll think that people are calculus equations because they, why do you, why time. do you think people are algebra, algebraic equations? That's interesting. Well, I mean, everyone's just like this up. Like, so like you at every, every moment is like a, some, like when, if, if someone's doing something like, so let's say I like, I kick a puppy. You know, like I'm never going to do that. Well, I guess if a puppy was attacking something or what, it, there's a, it, there's a scenarios where I'd kick a puppy, but I don't want to do it. But right. anyways, anyway, so you see me kick a puppy. That is, that is what it, the, the equal, that's what like, uh, that is the right side of the equation, like summing up a behavior. And then the left side 
is all the variables that come up that equal up to the right side. And so if you understand enough of the, the, the left side equation, like X plus Y, et cetera, um, you will, you should have a pretty good, uh, approximation as for why I did something. And so if you, if you look at people's behavior and I do this all the time, um, if you don't, if you can, if you can get close to the approximation of what, like why someone's doing something, you, you can kind of like fit in, in, in it, like an algebraic equation to kind of guess why they've summed to that level. There are, there are things where it's like, you just don't have the, the answer to it, but mm. then you, I, you can kind of like make observations, make hypothesis. You can kind of test that and tease it out and how you, how you, uh, engage with people. But, um, uh, I mean, that, that's what I mean. I think like people are just like behaviors are very, like have sub variables in them. And if you can sum them up right, you can get some sense of why someone's doing something. Uh, it, it works okay, like in the limit, like in, in specific examples. But if you have a longer period of time where you can observe people and maybe like rate of change, I think that might be interesting. But um, how behaviors change over time, like I, I wonder how like, I, I'm generally curious like how my brain will be affected once I've learned more about calculus now that you've talked about it. But mm -hmm. that's more or less how I see everybody. Like if I'm, if I'm perplexed at someone, if someone's doing something that I don't understand, it's like, okay, what, what's the variable that I don't understand that I missed here? Mm -hmm. um, Cause if from their, the person's point of view, most people don't see themselves being as asshole or doing something bad. There's something about that behavior that makes sense to them. Right, and, right. and our brains are kind of programmed to be somewhat rational, even if like people aren't rational and you mm. can be emotional, but even, I think even emotions are somewhat rational in terms of like the way that they exhibit, like anger is exhibits itself in a certain uh, a predictable pattern, like facial structures, et cetera. Mm. Um, so that's what I no, mean. No, that. you're a hundred percent right. You're 100%. Oh, well, thank you. Well, okay. Yeah. Cookie for lol. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, how do, do you uh, use similar things for people? Do you, do you ever look at people and like break them down in, certain, in terms of like some type of math? No, because um, there's too many unseen variables, right? There's too many unseen variables for me to basically lock people into an equation. But there is truth in a sense that like had if you observe someone long enough, you could you can solve many of those variables and predict their behavior. I mean, we live in a deterministic universe, right? Meaning that this is a universe governed by law, that everything has a chain of cause and effect. So people are predictable, whether they like to think otherwise or not. Um, and people so, yeah. have patterns. Yeah. It's there's not also even like, that... uh, there's a level of, um, there's some variables that do not matter or like the, the consequence of them don't affect the, the overall equation too much so like no i i think you only say that because there are unseen causes people people only seem unpre unpredictable because there are causes that are unseen and unknown i think i think with time and observation you could see enough enough of a, the approximate causes to understand why someone's doing what they're doing i don't yeah, think but you, you'll like, never like get people a complete say, like, snapshot of the person no no I, and that, my, that's my sub point as well, which is I don't think you need a complete snapshot to get an approximate understanding of what someone's going to do. Like there, yeah, but, there are many but the, situations but where the I can wild guess card, people. but the wild card behaviors will come from variables you haven't seen. Is what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying you yeah. need a complete snapshot for the person to be predictable. Okay. You don't. But when yes. you do get these like wild card behaviors, uh, okay. it's precisely because there are variables, there are unseen causes you miss. You don't have a complete snapshot. So, of course, there's going to be wildcard behaviors. However, yeah, if you had point. complete knowledge of the person, that person would be completely predictable to you. It would be an automaton. Yeah. But for you to have that, for you to be able to witness a person at that level, you would have to be God.
and you're not. Yes, or Rehoboam from Westworld. What is that? <laughs> Rehoboam. Rehoboam uh, was a, a giant uh, brain supercomputer that knew what everyone was doing and was keeping people in loops. <laughs> the first two seasons of Westworld are pretty good. Okay. After that, people can make fun of me all you want. The later seasons of Westworld are dumb. And the, <laughs> but Rehoboam was cool. I thought that was a neat concept. Basically, it was like controlling all humans, like what jobs you'd have if you would be killed or called or whatever. Mm-hmm, it was kind of mm-hmm. neat. If you were like oh, an outlier sick. person, they would kill you. But the oh, idea wow. was it was keeping humanity from killing itself. I think right, that's right. where – I think it's been hinted at that like in the Westworld universe, like all humanity is going to die out. Right, right. I mean, who knows, right? No one knows. Probably we can, not. I think we'll we be can fine. die. Yeah, we can. We can make it. We could fail. You know, it's it's we're, we're, anything we're a goes. young species. We're right, like right. two, like quarter of a million years old. We're pretty young. But we that's can. what the narrative is. Who knows how old humans really are? I don't believe yeah. that narrative. How old do you think humans are? Then I have no idea. They could be humans. Could be millions of years old. For all I know, um, that's true. But, the evidence you know, so far supports quarter. I think. Well, no. Well, there's a lot of cities that are under under the ocean that supports a very different narrative, right? So there's huge fights in archaeology right now. Well, it has been for the past couple of decades as to how old the human species really is. But I'm not an expert in this subject, so I don't want to make any claims. I can't state anything yeah. firmly. I don't know anything about this stuff. Well, I think if, if you were to talk about like human civilization... And it being older than it is, I think we would agree in terms of it being older than it, what people say it is. Like, mm. look at look at America. When we were, I'm assuming you're about my age. I'm 30. Uh, when I'm we 35. were kids, all right, you're about. I give or take mm. five years. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, when we were kids, like I think Native Amer- like uh, Native Americans coming to the U.S. was like they were thought to be like 8,000 years ago mm. at most, and then it became 12,000, then it became 13,000, and now there's even stuff. I think near Minneapolis. Oh, I just talked to you. I mean, I'll edit that out. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. You're good. You're, you're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. Uh, uh, People could know where I'm at. Okay. Well, especially if they're yeah. ladies. But um, mm-hmm. that <laughs> support that like people might have come over like fifty thousand years ago and built civilizations. Like even in the Amazon, there's reports that there might have been um, cities as as big as a million. So like it's wow, it's constantly wow. being rewritten in one area. Mm-hmm. That is, it's kind of nice in terms of like there's not that many competing areas for people to come in. There's only like three or four different ways that people came to America. Right. Um, in terms of like pre-Columbian, uh, you know, like uh, no pre like Columbus, wherever the heck that term is, um, mm-hmm. which is which if which is my way of saying if you were to talk about civilization being older than it is, and we've been kind of like wiped and we rebuild a bunch of times, I could, I mm-hmm. can see that being true. I haven't I haven't seen anything that suggests that humans themselves could be older, but you know, there's a lot of st- like it, you have to get really lucky for bones to last so long. DNA doesn't right. last that long, for instance. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not an archaeology expert, so I, I'm going to stay out of it. I just say, like, I don't buy the narrative, but I'm not going to say humans are this number of years old. I just don't buy the narrative. Yeah, you might like the book Sapiens. It kind of goes into it a little bit. Oh, I hated it. You didn't like it? What's wrong with it? No, uh, no. It, it was pop pop culture. It was like pop, pop-ish, you know, pop science type shit, you know? Yeah, it's a survey course. You start there, and then you drill down deeper. Right, right. It, was, it, was, it gives it you, was... like, a landscape of opinions. I read it. I read the whole thing. It reminds me of a Malcolm Gladwell book, right? It's kind of like superficial intellectualism in a sense, you know? I'm not saying these guys aren't smart, but, you know, it's... it's. I felt like these these are like watered-down books for the masses. It's yeah. not really for someone like me, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but I read it. It was it was all right. It was kind of like... It was kind of wokish type of book, too, in a, in a, way, in a weird way. Mm. Um, really? But, yeah, it was, it was all right. 
Yeah, I'll have to read it. I don't know. Um, I guess I don't entirely know what woke of it wokeism is because I try to avoid that part of the internet because it sounds very annoying. Uh, right. I'm not saying it was like on a woke sense, but I think Sapiens said a lot of things for woke points. You know, mm. you know, for 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 that was with the trends, and and I'm I it's I, old though, I, right? I will. I will give the author credit where credit's due. I think he's a great writer. He's a phenomenal writer. Yeah, it was fun. And it was it was really an easy read. But again, it's it's not a deep book. It's not something that I would like. I wouldn't read it again, or I would I wouldn't recommend it. Um, mm. Yeah. What but, are you? Yeah. Hmm? Then what do you what what books do you chew on? I don't I don't read books anymore. I mean, I'm 35, and I think at my age, like you don't read books as much. Uh, you know, unless it's like related to work, you know, I don't really read at all. So, you know, so, but when I was in my twenties and early thirties, I read a lot. I read a shit ton of books. You know, I, I would read a book a week sometimes, you know, um, I, I think it's a stage where you're, you're absorbing information, but then, you know, after you absorb information, you start to build things, you start to do things and you start to experiment and you start to form your own you know, I, I feel like books give you a great base, but then once you have enough of a base, just do, just do and just do. And that's when everything connects and crystallizes and you see what author was right, what author was wrong. And, you know, so, yeah, I think you're going to be at that stage in a couple of years, by the way. I think in a couple of years, I'm just making a prediction about you right now. I say three years, you're not, you're not going to be reading anything. You're, you're not going to be reading anything. You're just going to be doing things and you're going to be learning from experience. Let me, let me make something clear. You know, books has information. Books has information. Information is not knowledge. Knowledge is experience, as you know, right? There's a yeah. big difference between knowledge and, and information. Knowledge is experience. Information, like you could read a book about Italy. You have information on, on Italy. You don't know Italy. You only know Italy when you go there and live there for some certain period of time. But information, if you read about Italy, you have information on Italy. And information is extremely useful when you know what to do with it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when you know how to use that information, information is extremely powerful. So I'm not saying information is not because it has its place. But books don't give you knowledge. They give you information. So if I need information on something, like I'm building something, I will read the docs. But if I'm looking for knowledge, I will, I will have experience, you know? Yeah. So I see your point. I think there's, I, I think people go in phases where they go from, I, I think of it like the, the, the metamorphosis of a butterfly, like being the larva, like eating tons of information, you know, gathering information. And then you crystallize it into a, a more or less like a hypothesis or like an idea and like how to do something. And then you, in your butterfly stage, you're just executing on that for butterfly, it's just fucking. But for, for humans, it's, <laughs> right, you know, like building right. something or whatever. Right. Um, but that, that process, I think, is cyclical. Like, I think you can, it happens a lot. Um, so, like, there, I balance doing with learning because I think that's really exciting to see how things connect. And then, like, I'm in I'm in several different areas, just, like, being personal. Like, I'm in, like, biotechnology, agriculture, technology, and, like, a couple other areas. And so, like, what, you'd be surprised at things I learned in biotechnology that apply to tech or tech that apply to biotechnology. And so... And some of it's coming from biographies and books and stuff that I, I'm reading. And some of it's just reading, just uh, taking information from the, the internet. Um, but it's the, it, the different ways I apply it that then makes it so I can apply it in other areas. So but that like the genesis of some things that you wouldn't even know about would go away if I didn't have books or any other way of like continuing learning in that way. So I, I think I, I would actually encourage you if you could just like to like read like a chapter a day and somewhat random thing. 
I think, don't know. Especially, especially, well, especially given the fact that you, um, you're at a stage where you have so much capability to apply the knowledge. Any new knowledge, any new information you have, you gain, has you you have a higher chance of making use of it and making connections to what you already have. Well, you, you got to understand, right? Like, just because I'm not reading books doesn't mean I'm not reading, right? You know, as mm -hmm. you know, I'm a developer, so I'm always reading docs. As a matter of fact, one of the things I started picking up was uh, I started learning Haskell to write on a Cardano blockchain. And, you know, I have to do that every day. And I, you have to read a lot of docs. You have to go through a lot of tutorials. So, you know, also I have a YouTube channel where I teach history and I cover secret people. And when I cover secret people, I do research yeah, on them. So I, I read up on them. So just because yeah. I'm not reading books doesn't mean I'm not reading. I'm very busy with work, uh, with computer science and history. Um, so without a doubt, I'm still absorbing new information. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you look at my curriculum, every day I go through a playlist of mathematical stuff, computer science stuff. Um, uh, yeah. And, and so it, it doesn't mean I'm not learning and, and, you know, but I just don't yeah, I buy you. books and read them anymore. Cause like, yeah, you know, like I, my mind is already formed in terms of like world viewpoint. Yeah. I think instead of reading, it's just like learning and trying new things, which is a part of your schedule. And right, just re right. reading books to your point is not how you get that anymore. No, but no, because yeah, my yeah. work, I have, I have to learn for, for a lot of like, okay, I could have get complacent as an engineer and say, okay, like I'll wait till, you know, the ecosystem of Cardano is well-developed and then I'll learn how to write Haskell slash Plutus so I could start writing smart contract on a blockchain. But I made the decision that, okay, I'm going to learn it, learn it now rather than later um, so that I could be one of the engineers that's ahead of the pack in a sense. And that requires a lot of studying you have to be very studious about that so yeah. my work requires me because i'm forcing myself out of my element with my work with what i do i could be complacent as an engineer um because i'm doing that i'm pushing my boundaries as an engineer i'm learning new stuff so i don't think a person needs to buy books to learn if if you if this statement could have been valid if you're a doctor or a, sci or a research scientist and you want to see at the forefront of your field you're going to learn things. You're going to do things to get out your comfort zone so that you're at the forefront of your field. And that will require yeah. you to pick up new difficult things. But they're not books that like I'm going to read like Sapien or, yeah. you know, I think I read almost all Malcolm Gladwell's books. I, you would never catch me read something like that today. Never. And I don't think you will ever catch me read something like that in the future because uh, I, I, I could only predict that in the future I will have more ambitious technical projects to work on and I will have less time for books like sapiens right so okay. no you're still learning you're just doing you're just learning things differently yeah. now from doing rather than like you know buying books on amazon yeah and your perspective is very much like technical engineering one well like i said it could have been if you're a doctor i think if you're a top doctor you're learning in a medical it's technical. field so, yeah I, right I, I, we'll consider doctors technical for this conversation <laughs> sure sure <laughs> okay but let's just say you're a therapist right let's just say you're it, it, technical whatever too. your field yeah whatever field you were in i think if you want to stay at the top of that field, you're going to get out your comfort zone and learn new things. And I think that's yeah. a much better you're way to weird, learn, right. right, at your later age. I wasn't disagreeing with you. For the oh, record. okay, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, no, I was not disagreeing with you. It was just more, um, I, I do wait, like, the unknown, and which is very interesting to, like, the later conversation we're going to have here in terms of, like, how do you find something you don't know exists? And I think mm -hmm. that's what's interesting about your app. Mm -hmm. um, additionally, it's like, like, how do you get information and apply it in ways that, like, there's, like, stuff that's 
degrees of freedom away from what you're already learning totally like what you what you're what you just referenced and there's stuff that's like totally in the dark that you never even look at right and so i like to have some type of ingest system for things i i don't even like sometimes it's biography sometimes it's just like a podcast of hearing people i've never heard about like joe rogan's kind of fun for that mine's fun for that um that's why i, I interview people that are so diverse because then i can get those perspectives in. and so like i do see like the the value of like a, a, like the like an algebraic equation of like some wild card information so you can you, I mean, you really would be surprised how often I pull something from biotechnology to technology, for instance, in terms of strategy, in terms of how to build things. Um, I agree with you, but I don't think you need to consciously do that, right? Because I, I don't have some sort of, I don't know why you're doing that. Like, I don't have some sort of goal, like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna learn these wildcard things to get a heads up. Because I feel like whatever you're going to be, you're going to be. Mm. So so be as lazy as you can, and 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 you will meet the right information when it's time when it's time for it to come to you you don't have to put in an effort like what i'm saying is you don't have to constantly try to expose yourself to new information the right thing will come to you when it needs to come to you so you you could trust life in that sense and not really even put in any effort it'll come to you you know don't you you will become what you will become i promise you that yeah i think and i'm gonna steal someone else's quote but generally the harder i work the luckier i get and really so, yeah I don't I, agree I with that. The, the, I think the, that. The, hard, I, the more work I put in doing all these things and learning different diverse things and, and building different things, um, the more opportunity comes. When I know what I want to do and I'm working towards something, like you're, like you're to your point, um, the like things kind of coalesce around it in kind of a weird way. But generally, I, I think if you're doing your best at something and you're, you're doing it to the to the best of your knowledge and based on all these things, which I'm kind of being cyclical in that, but you generally, I generally think you can become luckier. Now there's degrees of luck in terms of like, like Bill Gates, for instance, I think was always going to be a millionaire, but then he became a billionaire because of luck. Cause like uh, the, um, the people, the corporation didn't want to like an exclusive license to the, the code he was writing or something. I forget the exact story, but like that, that luck, like you can't really plan for that, but he was ready to seize that, opportunity of luck and then he just dominated the 90s Absolutely. so like the harder he worked he could seize more opportunities of luck that were presented to him so like the, so like that's how i defend it like if you're if you set yourself up and this is a part of the fact that like i was sick for a very long time and so i think how can i best set myself up so if things go a certain way i can seize them and not miss them due to energy levels like i used to have calls where i was at like 20 percent energy and so like, I did my preparation. So when I go into them, I already have a sense of where I want to go with them. Um, and then also have the exploration of in the conversation as well. And so the harder I worked, the luckier I got in terms of having really productive conversations and really productive meetings. And in a world where most people just show up and, uh, and like for business meetings, like you'd be surprised how many times, uh, probably not, you wouldn't be surprised. But like most people don't show up to anything ready to go. They just want to like, and they're trying to like hide it with small talk in terms of like, oh, wow, how was your weekend? It's like, sometimes there's a place for that. Mm -hmm. um, but like when you're there to work and build and do something, if you've prepared, you can kind of lead where you want things to go as well. Then you get even more luckier. If you get more luck with that hard work, because you, you, if you put that work in there, you have a better intuition on what the right moves and stuff like that. So that's how I would defend that argument of the harder you work and hard. It's also smart working smart. Not like if you put in like 20 hours of work doing stupid shit, I don't think that's going to help you at all. Right, right. You got to kind of do the right things, but the right things, you get a better sense of what the right things are by doing more things. I, I disagree with that slightly. And let me explain. Um, I think there's a difference between identifying an opportunity and preparing for it. 
And we could argue even that's not hard work. And, you know, working hard. Uh, working hard. When it, here's, here's the funny part. Whenever I caught myself working hard, it was in the wrong direction. I was always in the wrong direction when I was working hard. I'm not kidding. I was always in the wrong direction when I was working hard. Whenever work was unpleasant and I'm working hard and I'm sweating, always in the wrong direction. When I was in the right direction, I was having a blast. Hmm. I was having a blast. And let me be clear. I've done certain things that perhaps people would say require Herculean efforts. But I had a blast doing it. I had a fucking blast doing it. It didn't feel like hard work. Now, whenever I felt like things are hard, I was in the wrong direction. Always. You know? So... I, I don't think people get rich by working hard. I think people get rich by identifying opportunities and riding the wave. Uh, I think people get rich by um, uh, investing long term and, and capitalizing after, you know, a certain period by positioning themselves correctly, basically. Um, and I think people get rich by, you know, building tremendous skills that other people cannot really develop and you can only build a skill to that level if you're really into it and if you're really into it you're going to have a tremendous amount of fun so i don't know i I don't i don't really see it i don't i don't think i work hard no i don't i don't think i do i have i had a lot of fun i've made a lot of money and and i've had a lot of fun (laughs) yeah it's actually a really interesting conversation we're having so Mm -hmm. far because uh i think a lot of the times we're having semantic conversations in that I think we're more or less on the same page because I'm going to say right now, um, I agree with you that you should be doing the thing. Like it should be fun for you. Mm-hmm. It, like I, I set things up where I do work in terms of like things that I do not enjoy as work um, to be as minimal as possible. So I can just be executing on things that I generally am excited. Like I mm-hmm. talked about learning or anything that's just like, it's like, I'm. if you looked at me, it looked like I'm <laughs> doing cocaine or something. Right, right, um, right, right. Facts. So like for, for me, hard work isn't, like it's not a judgment statement on being like positive or negative. It's just like the quality of the work that like most people will colloquially understand. But I think we're generally on the same page in terms of like, if if you're the best way to be do your your best work is to find the things and find the avenue of looking at the things where you're having the, your most fun doing it. Like there 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 are many times where um, I will be doing like this like the difficult thing that is hard. Uh, and I'll try to brute force it, which is what you're saying you shouldn't do when you went the wrong way. And I'll agree, that's usually been the wrong method. But if I sit back, even in writing, doing marketing copy, anything, and I think, what would be the funniest way to describe this thing? Then I'll slap that out there because that, that right, usually right. is what people like. Right, right. Um, but it still, I think, falls on the umbrella of what I would consider hard work. Um, even though I think as like a pithy quote, like the harder you work, the more luckier you get. But I, I generally think if it's, like probably more accurately, like the more things you do that you love and that you do with passion, generally you're probably going to have a happier life or more successful life. I mean, but that's like, le- that's a little bit more lengthy to say. I know a lot of people who work hard and are very unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to say something to your listeners too. If, if you find yourself working hard, sweating, you're probably in the wrong direction. It's like working out. So this is where we're, like it, it seems. Did you hear that though? Did you hear that though? Pause on that. Yes. If you find yourself working hard, sweating, going through, you're probably in the wrong direction. I hear you. I was gonna give an example supporting your statement. Oh, oh, really? Really? Okay, okay, okay. Yes. My bad. I was just gonna say, like, right. it seemed at the beginning we were really far apart. We were. I think we had a 
we were disagreeing with the wording of what I was saying. But like okay, okay. in terms of like what my heart meant by what I was saying and what you mean by what you're saying, I think we're actually on the same page. Because right. there's a like there's a way of working out where like you can go balls to the walls on it and do as hard as you can, or you can do where you enjoy yourself and just do what you're supposed to be doing. And the second one will reinforce what you're doing more and working as hard as you can in that arena, like won't res- like the results won't really be differentially better. Right, right. So I, I have a blog and, and one of my blog, I talked about becoming an S-class human. Remember, I told you before we, we went on air that there are different levels of humans. You watch and anime. There, right, right. There's S-class <laughs> humans. And um, actually, I got it from an anime called uh, Yu Yu Hakusho. I, I love that. I'm, yeah, re-watching, I that I'm rewatching it. My wife's watching it for the first time. Oh, I love Yu Yu Hakusho. Togoro is my favorite bad guy, by the way. Um, but... An S-class person, if 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 I were to put that in the real world, because I've met S-class people, in my opinion, S-class people have very little resistance in their life. Hmm. You don't really cash from working hard. Okay. They they they've learned to read life to a point when, because when you're working hard, that's that's kind of like life telling you you're in the wrong direction, and they've learned their their interaction with life is so real time that they could see. Mm-mm-mm. Too much friction in this direction. Let me try another direction. And they 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 learn to read the feedback life is giving them to a point where they find a path of least resistance way faster than most people. Most people will butt their head and work hard for years before they realize this is the wrong direction. As opposed to like an S-class person, he'll pick that up within a couple of days. And and mm-hmm. no, too much friction in this direction. Let's see where else there's less friction. Because, you know, if you look at physics, right? Life wants nature wants to move at the path of least resistance. It's the same with life. Energy wants to flow at the path of least resistance, and the path of least resistance is the path for you. Now, I'm not saying there's not times where you have to, you know, get your hands dirty and do some dirty work, but you'll you'll know because um, typically when it's time for us to go hard, life will give us a signal. Life will give us a signal. This is when you should go hard, and the rewards are very obvious. That the harder you go at that, the more you make, right? So there is a time to go hard, but that time is very clear because like the harder you go, the bigger the reward. So you strike with all your strength, but until you find that signal, until you see that clear opportunity, you should be moving at the path of least resistance. You should be, you should be doing what you love. You should be enjoying yourself. And it's clear that your users know, your listeners, sorry, your listeners, sorry, know that there's a difference between there's a time to work hard when you found that opportunity, you found the sweet spot, basically you found the, the, the piggy bank and you want to smash it. So you hit that piggy bank as hard as you can. There's a time for that, but that's not most times. Most times you're, especially if you're an entrepreneur, most times you're exploring, most times you're navigating, most times you're capturing mm-hmm. information, you're systemizing methods. You should be having fun. And if you're not having fun, you're in the wrong direction. Do you see what I'm saying? A little bit clearer. I see now? your point. Yeah. I see what you mean. It's like with uh, another example of what you're saying is when uh, if you're running, if you're running, you should not be tensing up if you mm-hmm. want to go fast. Mm-hmm. If you tense up, you'll go slower, which is mm-hmm. you think like if you pissed in it, you'll go harder. No, you, you actually are. You're slower than the person who's like, like singing like fucking Lady Gaga in their head or something <laughs> like enjoying mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's important, too, because like if you if you move at that at this path of least resistance method you'll have the reserve strength to go hard when it's time to go hard. Like I said, when it's time to go hard, life will give you a signal. 
you'll know the more you do this, the more you get paid or the more you're trying to get. When it's time to go hard, life will make it clear to you. You better strike. But if you don't have that reserve strength saved up because you were using it at plowing the field, thinking you're going to get lucky, <laughs> you're not going to have the strength to, to strike on that opportunity when it shows up. So you, you got to know when to go hard and when not to go hard. And most of the times you're not going hard. Most of the times mm. you're, you're, you're exploring, you're having fun, you're playing, you're learning. I, I can imagine a scenario where many people are sitting in jobs or leaving college and they're in a position where they've never been exposed to the things that they love or mm. the things that they love are not things that they realize. Like there are a few people that I've talked to this week who were having a problem and I started just asking them to like describe it to me. And I just sat there really quietly and they, they started talking about the problem and they, they like, they like sheepishly said, well, there's this one aspect about this thing that's going on. I mean, very not descriptive because I don't want, you know, mm -hmm. but um, they described this thing that they liked about this really complex issue they were having. And I said, well, well okay, let's, let's take that and blow it up. Like that thing that you're enjoying, even though it sounds silly to you, what is it? Mm -hmm. Let's, let's dig, dig into it. And literally we, we took that as the, like the cornerstone of what, how they should uh, move moving forward, like doing the, like what's enjoyable. Right. And they messaged me today. Like I, I, I talked to them before this call and they were like nothing but like smiles and happiness. And they were like on the verge of like tears, like frustration pissed off the other day. And so there, there's wow. an element of like, I can imagine so many people who are stuck in a state of not knowing what they love or even know how to be okay with identifying it or whatever the world mm -hmm. would be. So then how do you get, how do you identify those opportunities when you're, when you're raised in an environment where no one encouraged you, when you're raised in an environment where everyone pushed you down or you just didn't have the opportunity to see things that you'd be great at? Like, how do you find that for yourself? I guess, like I can imagine scenarios for many people listening in and I'm on like these, especially for millennials. There's a lot of millennials on Reddit, for instance, um, that just say they act like they're such dour, like their lives just, are really, really uh, uns un unfulfilled, un unactualized. So it's kind of advice right. for them, I guess, because they all describe what I just described for themselves. Right. Well, well, opportunity is really a collective phenomenon, right? So as you know, I have a YouTube channel where I cover like great people like Henry Ford and Howard Hughes and stuff like that. And one thing you realize, everyone who's gotten rich, they've gotten rich by riding a wave, right? So Howard Hughes, he was he was capitalizing off the aviation age. Aviation was very new at the time. It was an unexplored, it was unexplored territory, the skies. And Howard Hughes started as you know he was breaking um, uh, aviation records. He was a pilot, and then you know he went into the aviation business, um, had his own you know commercial airline, and you know it was one of his ideas actually that you know if you fly people at altitudes of 30,000 feet plus that the, the the plane ride will be a lot smoother, right? Uh, so a lot of commercial aviation that people enjoy today is tied to Howard Hughes. They don't know it. Uh, but the point is this, like uh, Howard Hughes capitalized on an aviation wave. Same with Henry Ford. And in my episode, I talk about like prior to Henry Ford, transportation was one of the biggest pain point of people, especially if you, if you lived in rural areas. That was a collective need at the time, right? Um, same with today with blockchain and stuff like that. So my point is this, like opportunity is a collective phenomenon. If it, like it, there was like, a, I think it was like the eighties the or something where there was like a huge wave of gyms, like every, the boomers, they all wanted to get fit. So that's where you have like planet fitness, 24 hours, like people made billions off, like, you know, the collective need of baby boomers to be fit and sexy. So an opportunity is, is a wave. It, it's a collective desire that you can ride. And that's how people get rich. You, you, you don't get rich 
um, uh, you know, by yourself, you have to ride a wave and you have to be smart enough to realize what is the current wave happening. Take for an example, real estate during the early 2000, after the dot-com wave, but went bust, real estate became the next wave. And some people made fortunes off that wave, you know, a lot of it unethically, unfortunately, through credit default swaps and stuff like that. But nevertheless, a lot of people made fortunes from the real estate wave. That wave is dead. That wave is finished. And there's people who are still stuck in a real estate game when a wave is already dried up. So I think a, a, a opportunity, a wave has nothing to do with, you know, you as a person, what, what you were meant to do, you know, what you were meant to do. If you're a young millennial, now I'm a millennial too, but if you're a young Gen Z and you're sort of like, you're like, what is my purpose? Uh, I think I think the first thing you really have to do, the first and only thing, truthfully, is is to explore, explore what you what you did for fun as a child. Like everything that I do now, whether it's writing code or you know video production and stuff like that, I was dabbling in them since I was a kid, right? Since I was a kid, I was like dabbling in these things, and I was dabbling in them for fun. There was a website called amv.org where you could submit anime music videos. And mm -hmm. I created a music video for uh, an anime called Berserk. And I, I entered an anime music video competition. I never would have thought I was going to be a YouTuber, right? But like, when you look at like, what I was doing as a kid, what I do professionally today is directly related to what I was doing as a kid for fun. So I think if you're a millennial, and you're, you're kind of like, a little bit lost as to what your path is, you should just explore what do you like to do for fun and, and what are ways you could, you know, capture value from it, from the marketplace, right? You know, and don't even focus on the whole marketplace thing. Try to see what you like to do for fun. Observe what you do for fun already and, and see, try to see if there's a match for that in, in, in a marketplace for, for it. And if there is, it create it, right? Like what I'm doing right now with Cityscape, uh, being a scout where you find these secret spots, I used to do that in San Francisco for fun. And I would take girls to like these cool locations. So in San Francisco, there's, there's an area I used to take girls. Um, it's like, it's a fountain that's bubbling colors. It's like, hmm. you know, it's a, it's a water fountain. It's bubbling all these colors. And at night it looks so freaking chic, you know? And I'll bring these girls, like I'll bring them one at a time clearly, right? And I would tell them, throw a penny, close your eyes, throw a penny at the water fountain because it's so beautiful. And they would close their eyes, throw the penny. And as soon as they open their eyes, I'd kiss them and I'll tell them your wish has been granted. And they would just <laughs> they would just be on the floor, right? And one night I was It's a powerful to, kiss. Right, right. Right. <laughs> one day someone said to me, Hey, why don't you why don't you make an app about that? Why don't you make an app about like, you know, finding these cool secret spots? And I, I told them, that's a stupid idea. That was that was my answer. That's a stupid idea. Cause I never really connected, like, okay. This is just my hobby to, you know, this could be like, you know, a serious tech company, but it's becoming one. Right. So I think just look at what you're doing for fun and, you know, um, just, just look at what you're doing for fun. That's, that's the key. have fun. You know, it's, remember, it's not hard work. Have fun here. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's something I'll add there. Uh, and I agree. That's a good way of finding something. Um, ben Franklin, when he was a kid, he was a part of like a big family and his dad was concerned that he was going to run off to sea because Ben Franklin, when he was a kid, really loved sailing. Mm -hmm. And if you're running out to sea at that time was, was not a good thing. 
Like you can die pretty easily. A hundred percent. Living on a yeah. So what he did to Ben Franklin was he took him to a bunch of different apprenticeships shops like candle making, print shops, etc. And he just watched Ben Franklin just like go through the shop and just see how he would respond to it. And so there was a couple that like Ben Franklin really got excited for and he just apprenticed them in, in those roles. And so I think if you use that method, if you don't have anything that really stimulates you, that is fun, go out and find a like in your area, a, people doing a bunch of random different things and go and just experience how they do them. Go experience mm. how something is made. Like, look at, like, I'm I'm from a like the literally. Uh, I don't want to dox myself, but like, there there are things around you where people are doing things, and if you go and meet them and they love it, that's kind of interesting. And right. if they if they don't love it, then you know just walk away because you don't want to you don't want to hear like a dispassionate person teach you about something that's kind of really boring and it's 100%. not fun. Um, I think that'd be a really good way if you are like if you were had a childhood full of abuse or something, you didn't have the opportunity to have much fun. Um, I think that'd be a great way to just uh, one, get out. And if you have social anxiety, like maybe find a way to do it in email or something like people are very open to having a coffee or shooting an email, asking questions. I email people all the time, asking questions about esoteric questions and at, like pretty much every response. And they're like world famous people. And they right, all, right. you know, they take, as long as you're very thoughtful and methodical about it. Uh, and you show that you're not wasting their time. People will help you. If you, with specific questions, if you have social anxiety, even if you have social anxiety and you can't go out, you can get that information to see if you love it. And I think that's another way that you can uh, explore what you'd be great at. Um, right. But then moving into what you've built, one of the one of the like one of the big questions I think one of the one of the things that we've been talking about somewhat is like how do you how do you explore the unknown when you don't know what is there? And that's I think that's very interesting about the app and what you do. Um, but then at the same time, how do you how do you ex- find something that you don't know is there? Like if you're going to Chicago or Boston or something, what do you do if your app didn't exist? If your app exists and there's people there, it makes it easier to find these hidden gems, which right, is really right, cool. Right. Um, but how would you do just without those tools? Like how do you find stuff that, that that you don't know exists? You just drive around and you look at a barn and you're like, oh, I'm gonna go look in that. Or, you know, like how, like how do you well, find things like that? Well, that's what scouting is. I mean, I'm wearing a say scout. Um, that's what scouting is. And, and, hmm. A scout is someone who explores the streets. You know, a scout is someone who goes to a neighborhood he doesn't know or she doesn't know and explore every corner and talk to people. To be honest, the the, the simple answer to your question is you talk to people. That's how you find the hidden gems. Like every hidden gem I've found, it was through me going to a neighborhood, talking to a couple of people. And eventually you meet a person who knows, who's in the known, who's connected. And that person, if you if if you give them the right virtues, if you give them the right signal, if they if they're vibing with you, they'll start taking you to all sorts of really cool places. I mean, you wouldn't believe like the places people took me and they just met me. They just met me and they're taking me to underground places or hidden corners of the mountain. You know, there's a place in San Francisco. It's, it's in a Presidio Park. No, Golden Gate Park. It's in Golden Gate Park. There's this particular route you take. And if I have you stand there, you will feel a resting tremor, like a resting earthquake. Hmm. That's how magical it is. You'll feel like the earth shaking under your feet. Always, you know? And, and that's like a secret spot, you know? But for you to know that, someone had to show you that. Like, a person showed me that, and now I know. Um so the quickest way to get to a secret spot is you go to a neighborhood you don't know that you're curious in 
and you hang out there long enough to become a film familiar face. And once you become a familiar face face, there's going to be someone there who's going to talk to you because typically every neighborhood has their scouts and scouts are social people. They're kind of like the plug of that neighborhood. They might not know their scouts, but they're the people that like, if they see a new face, they're going to talk to you because they always want to know who the fuck are you? Right? Like, why are you in my neighborhood? You know? So like, what will happen is a couple of these people who are like the, the, the neighborhood, the local icons, they're going to come and talk to you. And if, if you vibe with them, they're going to start plugging you in and you're going to start um, uh, getting to see the, the more hidden stuff. Now, there are limitations to this. What do I mean? What do I mean? Really, if you look at me, I'm black, right? So if I go to a Jewish neighborhood, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, certain Certain Jews might not, you know what I mean? They might not show me certain things in their world because I'm not Jewish. This is not to, to say anything bad about Jewish people. There's nothing like that. It's just there's there are levels within the community. And unless you share a certain similar background, you're not going to go deep. They're not going to take you deep. You know, so if I go to the projects, for an example, like, you know, if I go to like a projects in Chicago or to the projects in Brooklyn or whatever, um, there are certain there are certain levels that I could go to that you can't go to. You see what I mean? Yeah. They'll feel comfortable showing me way before they show it to you ever. But it's, it's it works the same as vice versa. There are certain neighborhoods or certain worlds I go to because of my background. I have limitations on like how much I can access in that world. So that's why like I I need scouts from every background. Because that's how, like, we could go, the app could show you deep elements in every world is by having scouts from every background. And actually, one of the things I'm going to start focusing on my YouTube channel is I have this series called Secret People. I think I'm coming out with the last episode next week. And then after that, I'm done. I'm going to go on a recruiting campaign where I'm looking scouts from all genders, all background. And, you know, we're going to discover these hidden worlds that all cities have. And we're going to, let the public enjoy them because ultimately what we're trying to do or what we are doing is we're letting, we're giving people a way of plugging into the community they belong to. I mean, people that live in cities, they don't have community. They, 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 are, they, they lack the community element because they're isolated in, in an apartment somewhere. And those, those places that they're looking to bond with people, they're not stores. They're, you know, they're not, they're not restaurants. They're not, you know, they're not commercial areas, but that's all they see. You walk outside, all you fucking see is stores and eateries and shit. Like, but that's not where community fucking happens. You gotta be in a known to know where that shit pops off. So scouts, what we do is we show you these hidden gems that skaters hang out at, that tech. So I work in tech. There's a place in San Francisco in an area called the Mission called Noise Bridge. Noise Bridge is basically a place for hackers to hang out, code, hack, you know, solder. You could learn whatever you want. Another hacker will teach you. And it's completely free. All the resources, all this brain power, completely fucking free. But you wouldn't know Noise Bridge exists unless you're in a tech community like that. You know what I'm saying? So, But imagine someone who wants to plug in tech. They're not a software engineer yet, or they're a junior engineer. They don't know about NoiseBridge. They want to plug into the tech community. They need a scout like me to tell them, nah, 
You know what I mean? You, you need to go to Noisebridge. And unfortunately, I'm one person. I can't talk to a million people. But through an app, the people that need to find Noisebridge will find Noisebridge. And there's tons of spots like Nor like Noisebridge for other communities, whether it's skaters, surfers, um, uh, you name it, LBGT, you know, LGBT, you name it. Like, you know, so every world, every community has their spots. It's just you need spots to show you where they're at. Mm-hmm. How do you build it where people are incentivized to add to it? And then how do people know, like, is, and then at the same time, how do you build in such a way where like the good gems shine brighter on your app versus ones that are like less interesting or less reputable or in, you know, like, how do you, how do you dis discern truth in those scenarios where like it, if anyone can like people putting stuff on there, it's like, how do you get people to be doing it? then how do you qualify the data and the locations and then um, metricize it to some extent so people know what they're getting as more people go there and stuff like that? Like, how do you, so how do you, how do you ingest and then how do you quality, quality control? Right. So, so let's, let me answer your first question, which is how do you make sure people contribute in a system like that? Right. Um, so the app has a, has a currency called street cred. Cityscape is a street app, clearly. Scouts are in the street. So it's a street app. So the app has a currency called street cred. And each time you save a location, it costs you street cred. So mm -hmm. each time, so if you go to discovery mode and you find this dope-ass spot and you save it, like, I'm going to go check this shit out later, you know? It costs you street cred. And the street cred goes to the scout that found it, right? So what happens is at some uh -huh. point, you're, you're going to run out of street cred. So how do you earn street cred? You earn street cred by posting spots and other people saving. You don't get a street cred for posting spot. You get street cred each time someone saves your spot. So if a million different people save your spot, you get a million street cred. So from just one spot, right? So, you know, street cred, the street cred currency system is how we make sure that there's, it's a give and take, mm. you know? Each That's time fine. you save a spot, it costs you street cred. Each time someone else save a spot you post, you gain street cred. Now you talked about data integrity. How we do the data integrity part is through the stamp system, right? So when you save a spot, what's the next step? The next step is for you to go there and get a stamp. Now the stamp that you get is really for you. It's for your memories, it's for your journey because Cityscape has this thing called My Journey where over time you could see all the spots you visited on a map. It's like we, we, we put a pin on each location that you visited so you could see where you've been throughout the world in one glance. But each, each time you check in a location, the app also gives you a stamp. The app asks you to take a picture and then it gives you a stamp at that location. So when you take a picture at that location that you're at and you get that stamp, and the app won't give you the stamp unless your location matched the coordinate hmm. of, you know, of the spot. And you do that on the server side. So it's not happening on a client side. So you can't like fake that shit. Um, <clears throat> So when we give you a stamp, okay, you 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 are at this place, Graffiti Pier. That's a secret spot, for an example. You're at you are at Graffiti Pier. You just took your picture. We're gonna give you a stamp. So Cityscape gives you a stamp. So the stamp does two things. One, it 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 validates that whoever scout posted graffiti pier, it is really graffiti pier. Because someone went there and got a stamp there and they didn't complain. They didn't say, Oh, dude, I don't see shit here, right? So, you know, it's real. Um, second. Each time someone gets a stamp, that says a lot because if the person took 
energy to actually go to that location, that location has more value than other locations that didn't get a stamp, right? So each each time someone saves a spot, that tells the algorithm that this spot is more is of better quality than other spots who are not getting as many saves, right? But each time a spot get a stamp, that's even a higher weighting average, right? That's that's more weighting points towards the spot that this spot has more value than other spots. So basically through the saving and stamping system, we're able to tell which spot is hot and which spot is not, basically. Mm. And we, we 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 take care of the data integrity problem because you can only get a stamp if you're there. Um, and by the way, when a person get a stamp, they also earn street cred because they're validating data in my database, right? So when you post a spot and you know other people save it, you're you're telling the database, you're you're telling me that you're putting useful data on my database. So you get street cred for that. So you street cred is a cryptocurrency that people mine. You know, so when you when you post a secret spot and other people are saving it, you're telling the database that the, whatever spot you posted, people are liking it. They're finding it useful, they want to go see it. So you earn street cred for that. You know, now when someone goes, when you go and get a stamp somewhere and you validate that the spot is what it says it is. You're validating data in my database as well. So you, so the system is able to mine more street cred and reward it to you um, uh, for, validating, for validating data. So street cred is not just an app currency where, you know, it, it, it keeps the cityscape economy running, the street economy running. It's also a cryptocurrency that is mined out of real work, you know, because scouts have to go out and find these spots and people have to go out and validate these spots by getting stamped. So... People are finding data in a real world and putting it in my database so they get street cred. And people are going out and getting stamped at these locations and they're validating data in my database and they're getting street cred too. So street cred is is literally mined by people exploring the streets, whether it's finding mm. new data in the streets or validating data in the streets. So instead of so instead of having a computer do calculations, people just going about their day end up mining and creating the currency? That's right. That's I mean, really it's still, cool. It still work, right? <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> right, right. Versus having like a bunch of racks of uh, computers just like burning a hole through your wall. Right, right. absolutely. That's really I interesting. Mean, I mean, that's why Cardano is so much better, right? Because it's a proof of stake system and that's much more energy efficient uh, than a proof of work system. But street cred, it's it's human labor that's backing the currency. It's it's human labor that creates the currency that mines it. Street cred is mined by people by finding or validating data on the streets. Because the streets has a lot of information that is not captured by any tech company. I mean, if you look at all the tech companies that exist, none of them give a shit about the streets. And that makes sense because that's not necessarily the founder's background. As opposed to me, you know, I grew up in Haiti and I lived in Brooklyn in a not so nice, in a not so nice part in Flatbush. And I lived in like, you know, kind of like the ghetto. And, you know, the streets is something I grew up around, you know, and, 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 you know, I love the streets, you know, I love the streets, uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of danger, um, a lot of thrill, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of money in the streets as well. But no technical entrepreneur is looking at the streets. And I think with my unique, with my background and with my software engineering skills, it, it's those two combined sort of gave me the qualification to build this app for the streets. Because, you know, like I said, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, I grew up, you know, um, uh, you know, being a knucklehead really <laughs> you know and 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 yeah i i really think uh and that, that actually brings a good point in, in a sense that like 
you ask if a generation Z is is not sure what to do with their life. I actually, that's another thing. L whatever experience you have in your life, that's what that's your job qualification. Whatever is your life story, that's that's your real job qualification. I mean, I, I don't really care if you went to Stanford or Harvard or Yale. Your real life experience is 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 your 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 real professional experience is your life background what you've lived because that that gives you a certain perspective that no one else have which does allow you to create something that no one else can so like i said you know growing up in haiti and haiti's a wretched place by the way um and then you know living in brooklyn and flatbush uh which is also you know a tough place as you know that's where mike tyson grew up uh if you're not familiar um I grew up not too far from Avenue D, which where which is where he was at. Um, and then, you know, becoming a software engineer, all these things sort of just add up. And then, you know, it, it allows me to build Cityscape as a street app. Now, let me be clear. I was never like um, um like like a gang, you know, like like a gangster or something like, you know, I was never like that deep into it. Um, but that that doesn't limit me in a sense that like whatever part of the street that I don't know, I could learn it from other people. You know, there, there are other scouts that will help me with the missing components that I don't know about the streets. Right. Because I, after I think at like 18 or something or 17, I joined the military. And so I, I got out the streets. Right. So there's a lot of things about the street that I don't know. And I feel like that's why you have friends who know the streets more than you, more than you to teach you the elements that you sort of, your blind spots basically, right? But but, yeah, that's basically my story in a nutshell. So I, I love it. I I think that's a incredibly genius. Um, I have like a lot of ideas in terms of how you could market it, but um, <laughs> no, I, every element of it's like really, really fascinating. Um, I, I could see you like working with uh integrating with like dating apps like Raya and mm -hmm. you could just like you know your your pitch could just be like unique experiences for unique people with unique people well, or something. I haven't written that algorithm yet, but I will maybe in the next maybe next year I'll start working on that algorithm. But I will write an algorithm where Cityscape will observe what spots you save and check in. So let me show you something. So Whatever, whatever, when you save a location, Cityscape know who else saved that location. So I don't know if you could see my screen here. So it'll be um, like a meetup community within your app too. Yeah, I can see it. Okay, so if I click this button, see who else saved this location, right? You could see I see three else. people. Yeah. Right. So these are three people that also want to. So Cityscape does two things. It knows everyone who saved the location to go see it, right? It also knows where where people have checked in. We could start predicting now. We could say, hey, Julie over there also want to go to that same spot you saved. And she also checked in at similar spot that you checked in. Do you want to meet Julie? And, and you and Julie already have something to talk about because you both saved Graffiti Pier. You both want to go to Graffiti Pier. So you already have something to talk about. Or you've both been to some XYZ place. And so these people will tell you those places that you both have in common, right? So... Cityscape will make the suggestion. So if anyone says no, no one feels rejected. I think that's important because 
lot of the time people are on dating app and they send these likes and they get nothing back at some point it feels terrible but also like you know not only cityscape prevents the rejection part because the cityscape playing a matchmaker like you guys both save these locations do you guys want to meet up and explore it together but if anyone says no no one feels rejected because no one asked anyone it was cityscape that was doing the matchmaker but more importantly i think when people do decide to say okay yes we want to connect okay what do you talk about now you know i i think th th there is this thing where like the conversation just dies in online dating because there's nothing to talk about really as opposed to like cities people say well you guys both want to go to graffiti pier you have two days to go there you know you you, you guys have or you guys have five days to go there or we could even let them choose do you guys want to go to the graffiti pier in the next two days five days or seven days and they could talk and say okay we'll do the next five days right so like I think Cityscape could suggest things that gets the conversation going and makes them cooperate. Because one thing I've learned is like people learn each other much better when they're forced to work together. So yeah. Cityscape, when, when because it knows where you want to go, because you, you tell Cityscape, I'm saving this to go there. And it knows where Julie wants to go. It could force events upon you that makes you have to cooperate. You know, and mm -hmm. as you guys cooperate, you'll get to know each other. And since it's now you guys are now going to graffiti peer together, you get to you get a date, <laughs> even though it's not really it's, it's exploration, but it's a date, you know, and you get to see her in many other dimensions other than like the traditional you're going to sit across me and eat and it's going to be like an interview for a husband. Right. So I think there's a lot of ways you could innovate in a dating realm, but. I'm really busy with other things right now, especially with the app architecture and the community building. So I haven't written any of this algorithm yet. So I'm talking about things I haven't coded yet, but I will. And I'm going to do it very elegantly. I promise you that. <laughs> the, well, I was thinking more. Um, so doing it like all yourself, that's, that's interesting. I was thinking more like you could integrate into those apps where they make a connection. And a lot of them, I haven't been on them in a while, but I, I, I like uh, have friends who are on them. And there's like subreddits I like to read because like people share horror stories. Right, right. But apparently when people connect with people, there are some that will literally try to suggest areas around there. So I could see people who have filled out their profile uh, connect, matching with someone and then taking that data and then matching it to some place nearby. And then they could be a part of your, your uh, street cred contracts and have unique experiences. So you, you can translate that directly into real world uh, integration but, but why why would I need that data from another app when I already have it? That's my question to you. I already uh, know where you want to go and where Julie wants to go. No, you it, you don't um, a larger base of people that are already on your platform. So the people that are on the dating app, they represent mm. like there's a lot. They're basically bringing you data, and then you're making use of the data usefully, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then um, then you're getting that data. <laughs> And then making their data more useful. So it's a, a circle that benefits the app and benefits you. They have more people that, mo right. that most likely are not on your app. So it brings you uh, business and it brings them business because they're making better, unique experiences that aren't just like uh, the regular mill of things and um, is tailored to their users as well. So I, I, I'd see that working. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have a dating app, that. but I imagine right. that being very valuable. Well, I, I, I've never looked at the APIs of like, say, Tinder or I, I have Instagram plugged in the cityscape so i i do i have looked at their apis and see what data they provided but i haven't looked at any dating app and see what information they give and what information they don't give so a lot of the times i can't really tell what i could build unless i unless i know what what data they, are they giving me in the first place right then i could perhaps think about okay well 
this is how I could, this is an algorithm I could create to make that data useful, to employ that data usefully. So I haven't looked at those APIs, but I could t totally see what you're saying is something yeah. in the future, hundred percent for sure. Yeah. And I, I think in particular, one, ones that match both having influencers on it and people that try to like, I mean, literally the whole job is making content that's unique. So that's right. Raya. Like it's only for like celebrity nerdy people and YouTubers, right. uh, like Instagram people. I don't know the terms for these, like I don't know, the zeitgeist on these things, but I think that one in particular would, would marry very well with what you're doing because all right. of them want clout or street cred. So, I mean, it really right. fits in with the branding. And then well, a, they, a scout, a scout on the app has other ways of getting cloud too. It's not just street cred. We have this thing called street following where you could mm. street follow someone. And if, if someone is street following you, any pop, any spot you post, they immediately get a push notification. Mind you, th there's already people who that's their job. Like if you think about it, that's, that's a promoter, a promoter. He has like a list of emails or a list of numbers that he, he chains text events that's happening right as opposed to a promoter if they come on cityscape people could just street follow him or her and they don't need to chain text or chain email whatever venue they post whether it's a club or whatever an after party all of their street followers will see what they post right so i i want to create a new type of influencer is what i'm trying to say because scouts i think are going to be influencers in their own domain they're going to be street influencers i don't know if if what do you think I think that's interesting. I could see scouts being uh, uh, very valuable and like having their own influence just on discovering things. Right. Um, I worry about safety. You know, like if like maybe if there's a time delay, so it's like you don't drop a pin and then everyone starts like attacking them because that is an element. Like people, when they get to a certain level, people just start you know doxing them and like swatting them and stuff. Um, so if there's like a time delay element, so like they can drop a pin. Uh, not you know drop a an area um and then other people can come and get stamped i think that'd be really interesting um additionally i had a, I had a question on could you could you set up like a like a stamp that starts i, I don't want to call them stamps but um what was the term they use for like setting up in a, like an area a spot a spot all right yeah um, location, i like the, yeah. i like calling them stamps because it's like you get a stamp like stamp location. stamp is what you get when you when you get when you go there and actually check in yeah you know There's, stamp well, the stamp is what you it's kind of like a passport stamp you go to yeah. that spot yeah i saw it yeah, really yeah, yeah, cool. yeah right right okay yeah but if okay, you well, post a spot that's just a spot you know okay a spot all mm -hmm. right so you can could you place a spot that has sub spots that you discover after it so you could make like a scavenger hunt or a specific experience a hundred percent a hundred percent like like we have this... and you don't know before you go it'd be like completely like you just see the first one and then you go there and then like doing that condition, getting the stamp moves you to the second one. Damn, right. It's, it's actually a little bit more intricate than that in the sense that like whatever spot you pose, you could have it generate a barcode. That barcode you could print and put on a wall somewhere. And that's the only way they could check in. They have to scan that barcode to check in. And then when they, when, when they scan that, that barcode to check in, whatever next clue you leave for them, they get. But you could imagine, like, you, the first 10 people to scan that barcode, like, the first person get 10 street cred, the second person get 9 street cred, the third person to check to scan that bucket, and then it goes back to all the way down to one, and then everyone after that always gets one. Uh, so you're, there's, like, this first mover advantage, like, yeah. the first 10 people to get that, to scan that barcode, get more street cred than the rest of the people. But 
scanning that barcode opens doors to whatever the other scout, whatever the scout wants to show them after that as well. So yeah, it can be a scavenger hunt. That's actually a feature I was working on earlier this year, but I got really busy with other things that I felt had priority. But I know I finished our, the barcode feature already. So the barcodes are, is available. So each spot a user create, they could have that spot generate a barcode for them for people to check in. Um, uh, I just need to finish that up with like the next clue. I haven't coded that yet, but uh, it's, yeah. it's, I'm just one guy, you know, so it's a lot of work for one person. It makes sense. Uh, it makes it like you already have, you know, one degree of experience. But then if you can have multi-degree experience, mm -hmm. you're like, that is, that's addictive. That's very mm -hmm. exciting. Mm -hmm. um, it's already exciting in and of itself in discovering something new, especially mm -hmm. for someone who likes learning something. And anyone who's listening to this is going to like that as well. Right, um, right. So we're definitely going to have the links in the show notes and they're going to say them <laughs> at the end in the outro. Um, so right. everybody can check it out. Um, I was saying if, if you are really well known and you have uh, street cred as a scout, can you use that extra street cred you have to um, set what people get when they go to your thing, so you could like incentivize people to go to your your um, your uh, spots even more. Right, right. So, like I said, um, if you put a barcode, you could set it where like the first person who scanned a barcode get a hundred okay. street cred. Okay. And then okay. the the next person get ninety nine street cred. Right. You could you could set that, of course, but you need you you need a certain scout level to to have privileges like that. So there's like scout ranks that's already in the app already believe it or not and and as you find more spots and as more people as as more people check in your spot so the success of a scout is really dictated by how successful his spots are meaning how how many people are saving the stuff he's posting how many people are checking in the stuff he's posting or she's posting so your street influence that's street influence right because whatever you post people go there that street that's they could move people on the streets. That's what scouts are. They have street influence. They move people. So, you know, a scout with a lot of street influence, so meaning a lot of street cred, he's gonna have privileges to do exactly what you're talking about. Where, you know, he could he could give he could give way more street cred for for a user to check in than a scout who's just starting out. And you know, they 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 won't even no, they won't have that kind of privilege. Yeah, you create a marketplace, and then all you have to do is just uh weighted against a section that's like new and noteworthy like what right. itunes or other podcasts do so that it's not just like uh the big box scouts that are keeping the incumbents from coming in and discovering new things so it's right you, you get the best of like people who are super users and uh people who are coming in with even new content so that everyone has like i imagine you have some some ability to have that as well to like right. have the best of both worlds Right, right. I mean, it's 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 still in the making, so to say, like the especially the quality assurance aspect. I think a big part of that is training scouts um, on how to put quality posts, because I've seen a lot of shitty posts put on yeah, the app. Like where, a template would be great. Right, right. It's not just because they have a form they fill out to create a spot. Right. It's just there's certain things that they take for granted in terms of like what kind of picture they should use. Um Make sure the picture is high resolution. Uh, what what perspective are you giving the viewer? Um, uh, what kind of when you write the description of the spot, are you giving the user context? Because uh, as a scout, you're not just telling the person about a spot. You gotta give them the context. There's a lot of secret spot. If I take you to, it'll just look like a hole in the wall to you. It's when I tell you the context of the location. 
that you'll be able to understand why it's special. You know, and you as a scout, you don't have time to talk to a million people and give them the context. So you have to make sure you write a description that gives you that gives the person who's seeing the spot a context, a good context of the location. So that way their experience is even richer when they get there. A, a, a location isn't special to us until we understand its story. You know, and I feel like a lot of the scouts on my platform. They don't get that deeper element because like cityscape is not just about like connecting people on the streets, right? Because, you know, that's our goal. We want we want you to find your community. We want you to meet new people. We want you to find new spots. But that's 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 one of our goal. Our other goal is to give you context, not just connection. When when people are walking the streets, man, they they don't realize that the city is a hive and, you know, you need a special lens to be able to decipher that hive, you know, because like, so I I used to live in San Francisco. There's all sorts of neighborhoods in San Francisco and each of them are their own world, their own community, their own like secrets, their own history, you know? And unless you know that, that neighborhood won't mean much to you, right? So I feel like a big part of scouts is to give people context because like, Unless you understand the story and the history of the city, it's just a pile of concrete. It's nothing special to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And 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 you need someone to come tell you. For example, Minneapolis, it was a huge grain hub. You know, a lot of grain was, uh, I think they even had like a, a, a grain exchange or something like that here. You know, um, uh, and th- that's why like they even had a part of Minneapolis called Mill City which you could go and get the history of like what Mill City was about and stuff like that, right? So once you start learning that about Minneapolis, you always think of like, oh, grains, Mill City, you know, like, you know, the grain exchange, right? So people need that context to be able to tie that city to something meaningful. And there's usually not a scout to give them that. So it's just a bunch of concrete that they're just walking around aimlessly. That makes sense. And it is, I can see why it's very important. I can imagine a community resource hub like a uh, some that's built by you guys, some built by uh, people in the community, and you can even have it down to what type of phone are you using to uh, make your posts, mm. and then you could literally have it walk through like this is the type of camera angle you want, these are the type of things that you want to uh, do to capture just like a good uh, series of images, and then this is like roughly how you describe it to give it that context you know, like make it easier for them to become power users. Kind of what YouTube does already, where right, any, right. Like, already established medium does. They have right. like these tutorials and guides that really make, make it almost kind of like idiot proof to, like, if, if you have the interest to do a good job, it, it makes it really easy for you to do a good job. Right. I, that's the next thing I'm going to work on. Can I give you another example of the context yeah. thing? Because yeah, I feel yeah. like, because I'm new to Minneapolis, right? So I, I don't really know the city like that, but I'm from New York, as you know. And I lived in San Francisco for a long time too. So I know those two cities really well. So I'll use New York. You've you've ever heard of Wall Street? Yes. With why is bolt. it called? Yeah. Why is it called Wall Street? Uh, because there was a wall that was built on it during the uh, pre-revolutionary war or during the Revolutionary War to fight off the British. No. There's a wall there. I think there's a wall. No, no, you're right. There was there was a wall there. You you're actually much closer than most people. You actually there's a wall. The wall was created. Was it the one that was for the Native Americans? Yes, it was for the. It was to protect the 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 Dutch from the Lenape tribes, 
And actually, black slaves built that wall. As a matter of fact, I mentioned a black slave thing for a particular reason. It's not because I'm black and I'm trying to throw dirt at New York City. Not at all. That They had black slave built Wall Street to separate the Dutch from the Lenapes. And the, the blacks live near that wall because they wanted to also use the blacks as a buffer against mm. the Lenapes, right? So Wall Street was a very important wall. Like there was really a wall there. And I think once you understand that story, you'll never look at Wall Street again. The next time you go to the New York Stock Exchange, like it, without you knowing that story, you'll go to the New York Stock Exchange, you'll see those nice little marble building and those pillars. And that's it. You'll take a few pictures and leave. Now you know that story. You go back to Wall Street, I promise you, you won't have the same fucking experience. You will look at Wall Street. You will look for details that are entirely different at Wall Street. You will, you will try to find... Where was that wall? And there are markers on Wall Street that tells you where that wall was erected, actually. Can you find it? Can you be a good scout and find it, listener? Um, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like mm -hmm. a big part of being a scout is giving people that context so that they bond with the city. They bond with the neighborhood. It, it, you know, community is not just like I know a bunch of fucking people, right? Community is I know the history here. I know how this place evolved. I know where this place is going. A big part of community is stories. What is the history, right? And I feel like a lot of the scouts that I have now, they don't quite understand that. And it's my fault clearly for working on secret people and not getting on these con these type of content you talk about. But I plan on changing that very soon. Yeah, I would uh, weaponize your community. Have the right. power users make the guide and then some, find a way to incentivize them for it. Similarly to the the posts and people stamping them. If they make a good guide and people stamp that, they can get the same type of street cred. And then uh, you absolutely. don't have to do it. Yeah. Right. Um, right. There's a, um, it reminded me and it made me think of this experience that you could have where there was a, there was a guy who was interviewed who was the last slave. He was, he was on the last slave ship to come to America mm. and he was interviewed and it was preserved and, and so you can, you can literally hear him describe what it was like when he was hiding in the, cause it was, it was illegal then too, when they, he was coming over in the slave right, ship, right, but right. It, they were still doing it. So when they came over, they landed the ship and they had to hide in a swamp and they burnt the boat. And so you hey, could have that sick. area, that location, and you could have his description there as well, given the context in his own words. And so I, and then you could just follow him from, you know, that slave ship to eventually emancipation. And I think that'd be really cool to like, That's have a series of, yeah. And then. You can imagine the wall. I don't know if people interviewed them or if they had their own journals, but you could have the description of this context, but then you could go through like one person's life on that wall. And I think that'd be really right, exciting right, right. too. Yeah. yeah. I can picture uh, that like very clearly. That'd be really cool. Yeah. The app is going to have a feature called a trail, which is basically a sequence of spots that are related. I haven't built that yet, but I think that's what you're kind of hinting at a trail, whether it's someone's life or as a matter of fact, one person had called me from Stanford and they were like, Hey James, can you have one of your scouts trace me every location Martin Luther King had eaten when he was in Berkeley? That'd be, and, that'd be really cool. And, yeah, and he was like, I'll pay him $2,000 for it. And and that actually, like, mm. I was like, wow, you're willing to pay a scout to do that? Um, Another thing that had happened it when is, I was in New cool. York, right, when I was in New York, this guy, right. he was a hotel developer. And he said, hey, James, you have, like, scouts, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, can you put like a message out to your scouts that if they know any land and any like good area 
And if we if we survey and we, and we buy, we'll give them a cut because they're looking to build hotels. So they're like, if if a scout sees an area that could be a great potential for a hotel, because you know your your scouts are in the city, they're 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 about they're they're moving about, they they know the city. You know, we'll give them a cut if we do buy the land and develop a hotel on it, right? So uh, that's another thing that I haven't explored too much. That there is a market, like a bounty market, where yeah. Someone could put a job for a scout, like find me this, and 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 if the scout finds it, the bounty is released and they get paid. But I haven't explored that too long. But those were the two jobs where two actual people came up to me and offered money for scouts to do work. Yeah, that'd be really exciting to have some type of like competition marketplace like that where people can mm -hmm. request experiences. And if it's like, oh, we've crushed this, and you could have like a, hey, did you check out these similar experiences? So while they're mm -hmm. waiting for that, they already have other things that are that you know that they're looking for, and there could right. be a way to like standardize the submission so that a people people can like look at all because I imagine they get inundated with opportunity. Then mm -hmm. there's a way to like standardize like, hey, here like the criterion and stuff, and then they can look at all of it and then go, that'd be really cool. And then every year you could have uh, competitions with your scouts which, and do the Shopify thing where they went from like a very small, like $10 million business to doing like a yearly Shopify uh, competition where like the winners won certain things and you have like a straight con or something. And then, well, that, um, that that's too commercial for me. I'm not really, that sounds a little too commercial. No, I don't know if it gets people excited and it rewards them for their behavior. You don't have to have a conference, but you could have like some reward for them doing it. If it's monetary street credit or otherwise. My question to you, right. Is like, I feel like a lot of the times companies do things that are very artificial for the sake of money. And I don't ever want to be one of these companies, right? My question to you then is like, how do you separate when a company is doing genuine organic activities with their, you know, participants and when they're doing transactional things like you know, competition, da, 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 da. You know, how do you know when it's real organic community? Because the scout, that's a community too. And I'm big on community. I don't want to like, you know, do a little competition to use them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it has I to think, be from the heart. So how do you differ? That's my question to you. I would think that it depends if it matches the context of the brand. So the, mm. I think Shopify is a good example of this because Shopify is all about helping businesses build their thing. Like that's their thing that they love. And so when they build a competition to like help, like, one, it's like providing motivation for people to get out there, like a catalyst to do it. Like it, it feels more like an authentic thing that people want to do versus like, I think Mountain Dew has competitions like, oh, can you get this like this thing or a McDonald's, you know, like the little Monopoly thing that feels right, a little right. bit more like parasitic in terms of like, I don't see how it fits with maybe like Monopoly with Mo McDonald's because like you get little toys, um, but like Mc Mountain Dew and if people like this and it makes sense. Like some talk to me about it. I just don't see the value of it. I don't think the Mountain Dew competitions or the Mountain Dew like go find like the the golden ticket thing. I don't think those are brand appropriate. Like I don't think they they match the the vibe of what they're doing. So if it if it if it feels I think if it matches the brand or it matches the feel of what the business is about, I think then it makes sense. Like Shopify, I think is a good example of that because I think they did it because it matches what they care about. And right. so if you do it and it matches what you care about, I think that would make sense. At the same time, if you try it out and then your community says, "Oh, that's really like they kind of like pull back, kind of like tasting fish that's bad." Then that's you know true. It doesn't work out and that's fine especially if that's you're in true. the early stages and you're a small team like people expect you to try different things um, that's true i think I, like as a summary i think if it if it feels like it's just you know one step removed and it could like into it like this uh apple concept that like one 
represents the whole if you look at mm. if you looked at the competition would it would you feel the same as everything else you're doing would it have the same reward and an ethos that you're trying to impart in every other element of the system if yes then i think that would make sense right I, you know I, you, you got a good point one thing i have to say right i think a lot of the people who become scouts uh they're edgy people you know um yeah I mean, you kind of have to be if you're going to be in the streets meeting people like that, right? You know, shit could get dangerous real quick, as you know. Um, so they're edgy people. They're adventurers, you know. They're they're, and I'm, I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what would work for an audience like that. Is what I'm saying. You know, mm -hmm. I'm still getting to know them, so to say. But yeah, you could um figure that out through basically like pitch them three different ideas like there's a marketplace where people can add bids there's mm -hmm. like your your different things they get a sense of how they respond to it right and ask them for feedback i mean most of the time i always just finish like asking and like there's a, a specific way you can ask them for feedback like right. if this existed and it went away would you be upset about it would it bother you would it change your life or whatever there's a right. way to like structure the uh, questions where you can actually like it's like do you like it yeah you know people right. like free you know features you don't know if it's worth anything right. um but there's a way to phrase the questions where you can see like are are these things that people are, is it going to make them want to do more of it? It's going to reinforce the values that you want. Um, Can I show you something else that. real quick? Can I show you something yes. else? Take yeah. a look at this. So this is the feed in a Cityscape app. This is a feed that shows you what people are doing. And if I click, so this person got a stamp, right? And if I click on her stamp, you know, this oh, is like, drink. right. This is the last place she checked in. And, but, you know, as people get stamps on an app, you know, it pops up on a feed that this person checked in here, or that person checked in there. And and that's for every city, right? So whether, whether you realize it or not, what Cityscape is kind of doing, and that's really the ultimate goal, Cityscape is showing you the city in real time, right? Because like if, 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 all, if all of a sudden you look at the feed and there's a bunch of people checking in at this location, you know where the crowd is. You know, so we, we, we had a fair in Minnesota, for an example. And if I looked at the feed and I see a bunch of people check and they're all checking in at the fair. I'm not saying I'm not seeing people checking other places, but I'm seeing the majority of check-ins I'm seeing coming in the feed are at the fair. So I know like, holy shit, like, you know, that's where everyone is at. Right. So that's ultimately the goal of the app is, is to show people the city in real time. Hmm. right so so that and that's why it's called cityscape cityscape stands for a view of the city um uh, the goal is to show you what's going on in a city in real time so that you don't need to have a plan you could just throw yourself at the hive whenever you feel lonely or bored or you want excitement you could just go plug in the hive when you want to interact with it and when you don't want to interact with it go back to your apartment and i think that's that's the ultimate luxury of cities you, you you know cities gives you the the luxury of being anonymous if you live in a small town everyone knows who the hell you are and reputation travels so whatever you do everyone knows city gives you this ability of being anonymous you could go out and punch someone in the face scream your guts out walk back two hours later no one knows you did that <laughs> right so this anonymity is, is 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 incredible but it could also lead to disastrous loneliness but with a tool like Cityscape, where you could see what's happening in a city, where people are, where where checking in. And remember, when I just show you that checked in and you saw that stand, you saw the location she was in. So you, you get to see not only where people are at, you get to see what that place looks like right now.
right? You ever heard someone say, oh, come to this joint. It's really cool. It's really cool. But like, what does it look like? Why is it really cool? With Cityscape, you could just look at the stamps and you could see different pictures of that location and what people are doing there, right? So, but people don't know when they're checking in to get their stamp, they're doing it to get their stamp. They're not aware that they're giving other people who's not at that location a glimpse of what's going on in the city. They don't need to. They just need to do dumb. And I think that's one of the best things of Cityscape is that it uses data so effectively that like a person don't even have to be aware that they're contributing to this real-time feed, this real-time picture of the city. They just have to be selfish and do their things. And Cityscape will take care of the rest. But uh, what what is your thoughts on this? I think it's very powerful. I think there I, I have some concerns in terms of like if there was a, just an option to like delay it like a day or two or like have some like optionality so that like, mm. you know, like maybe some vulnerable young ladies or whomever <laughs> doesn't, you know, uh, you know, remember uh, th these are public places, right? Don't forget that. Yeah. 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 But I think like the delay aspect, I think would make it a little safer. Like I know they're public places and stuff, but I think like mm -hmm. uh, that if, if, if you had, it's like what Apple does, like, Hey, you're going to be tracked. And then you just click a, and then you're, you're fine with it. They just like make the option. Um, I think that's a great, like, op that's a great idea, by the way, I should probably yeah. implement something like that where I yeah, could give just, the user the option to delay yeah. if they, yeah, that's a great yeah, idea. Yeah, I think it, it would make uh women more, I imagine it would make vulnerable populations more likely to go out there and check it out, especially if, if they know it's going to be broadcast live, uh, women, apparently many women, uh, suffer from stalkers and stuff. Right. So right. it's like, they would just use it as another example of like finding them, but I, it's a very powerful tool. I think it just has like that one limitation. But it's incredibly powerful. But I think if you do the Apple thing where it's like you just put up front like, hey, this is going to be live. Uh, but at the same time, if you want to like delay it like a, a two weeks until you're let, you're out of the city and back home, mm. you can right. do that too. So then you still get the hive. It's a bit delayed, but you still get like, I imagine there's some way to tell like there's a lot of people there based on like the history. Well, of the that's actually what I was going to tell you. Um, I, I'm suspecting that in the future, it, you won't visibly see these people. Stem. You can those that lets you those that says okay i'm yeah. cool with that but i think in a future you will just see a oh. map with with heat you will see a heat map. oh yeah then that's just that that's heat. all upside right right because because you know if i abstract it that way people don't have to worry about being i think that's a great point you just made especially for a woman i mean we're as men we don't really think about that too much right because you know you attack me it's, it's on you whatever happened happens right one of us is going to die but like women, you know, they, they don't, they don't think like that. So no, great point. I, I really, I really think you, you nailed that one. I also think that there are many different ways that you could do it so that I think the image aspect will add, mm -hmm. uh, activate the mirror neuron of like, oh, I could see myself doing that. And then it makes it easier for them to go out. So I wouldn't want you to lose that where you can maybe even make it so that um, it anonymizes the image where like it takes the person out of it if they don't want to be a part of it, but you can still have the, like generally the idea of the activity. So there's like degrees of privacy you could add to it to make people feel safer, and more comfortable with it, but you could still have elements of the image preserved. So outside of just a heat map, you can also get like, uh, you know, the, the, the texture and the context of like the images as well. I think there's basically my, my point is like, I think there's ways to still preserve that really exciting element of that would uh, activate mirror right. neurons of like right, right. feeling, feeling the area. Right. I think user optionality is the best one, right? The users that yeah. don't mind their stat being shared real time, they'll let it. The users that do mind, they'll they'll choose the delay option. Yeah, the heat um, map just takes care right. of both. Right, right. The heat map takes care of both. But, you know, the the goal is if you tap that heat map, 
you could see stamps too, right? You know, so the heat map is mm. rather interactive. It's not a static thing. The heat map just gives you a clue of where, what are the hot areas in the city. But you're going to pick a, an area that you're most likely, probably the one closest to you, the closest heat area to you, and say, okay, what's going on there? So stamps will have to pop up sooner or later. And I think the optionality, the user optionality of like, okay, I don't mind. Like some people, I, I know they don't care. So, you know, whatever, you know. But some people do care, like you said. And probably a lot of them are women who, who you know, they don't want they don't want Johnny to show up. <laughs> Right, they don't want Johnny to show up out of nowhere. Um, uh, so no, great point, great point. Um, or I could um, or to know if they're there, they could just have like a random generated name, it's like Sarah. Or you just have like a whole list of names that just populates their name, and right. then you could like superimpose like you know a different image there or something like, or like just uh, blur it out. Um, right, right. So you can make right. it real. You can make it like hyper sensitive to those people as well, which I don't. I don't know what to the extent it would be difficult. Um, but I think you'd find like more women doing it if even if it was just if even if it was just delay, I think it would, it would be more inclusive in that way. Um, but if there's other ways to anonymize it in terms of name and other things like that, um, I think you wouldn't have any downside in that regard. Right. Because right. like people like I mean, like you're you're not really like what I'm talking about is like really not like the average person. <laughs> like mm -hmm. the, like you're what I'm thinking about is like that person who's like really obsessively like hunting someone down. And that, like, right, unfortunately, right, right. like the internet makes it that those people exist. But then, um, I, I think there are other threats that come with it, but that come with a tool like that. I mean, you know, if if I give the world a heat map of where people are, it's a great tool for terrorists, right, to come blow shit up. Um, so I, I do think there is a double-edged sword, like all technologies, yeah. where you know, certain there there are certain precautions now, um, that have to be considered given um uh giving you know the power that we're putting in people's hands um and of course it's it's, it's an active fight it's a fight that, that that never goes away i'm not saying that a terrorist can't arbitrarily wake up and go blow an area up they could do that at any point with or without cityscape but i think yeah, with you... cityscape they could do it a little bit more intelligently and measures will have to be taken and in, in regards to that because safety is a big thing i think you it would make it depending on how your app's set up in terms of like, uh, I think everyone has to have an account to have the app. Like we've mm -hmm. gone way over our time. <laughs> oh, have we? <laughs> <laughs> it's it like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like we're having a really great time. So I was like, maybe, oh, I'll maybe, just wait until he yells at me. Maybe we yeah, should yeah, do a part two. Maybe we should ask your audience, should we do a part two? Maybe we should do a part two. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say that if, if everyone has an account, uh, I think there'd be a way to track back if someone used your app to, to do something that's, like that. That's that's absolutely true. As so, a matter of fact, I think it'd be um, a huge disincentive to do such a thing. Yeah, yeah. Damn, you nailed it again. Um, so the app has something called a street pass, which um let me see if I could load it up here. Um, can you see me? I do see you. So that's actually one of the first things you have to create on the app is this tool called a street pass. Mm. And this street pass, by the way, it's it's actually something I learned from the streets. Where in my neighborhood, if 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 you live well in Brooklyn, if you live in one part of the ghetto, you can't go to another part of the ghetto without a street pass. People are gonna come to you and say, Do you have a pass? And if you don't That's have a pass, you, you're gonna get fucked up, right? So what do they mean by do you have a pass? Right. What they really mean is do you know someone here? You know, what are you doing there? Do you know someone there? So that's where I learned the term street pass from. Uh and that street pass that I just showed you. It's a real ID card. And uh, that's actually one of, uh, another reason why I want to put 
a part of cityscape on a blockchain is that blockchain, whether people realize it or not, blockchain does a huge thing that wasn't done before. I mean, when you, the internet, you, you have a bunch of app on the internet and they all require usernames and passwords, right? So you have a username, password for this, username, password for that. The reason why you have all these username and passwords throughout all these different apps is because you have no identity on the internet. Blockchain solves that in a sense where through blockchain, you, you can have a permanent digital identity. So this idea of password is no longer necessary because every activity you do online is tied to your unique identity on a blockchain. So one of the things I would like is that that street pass, which is a street ID card, the, the Cityscape street pass, um, is going to be tied to your digital identity on a blockchain. So whatever you do on a street is tied to you, right? So, and the street pass can be revoked. So imagine like um, you, you, you meet Julie because, you know, Cityscape made a suggestion and you, you, Julie accepted, you accepted, and you guys go to Graffiti Pier together. But while at Graffiti Pier, you go crazy and you snap on Julie. Julie reports it to Cityscape. What is Cityscape going to do? Well, we're going to suspend your, your street pass or revoke it. It, depending on the trespass, right? So the street pass is a real um, uh, ID card. It's a real street ID card. And it exists even before Cityscape was there. Like I said, it's not just Brooklyn, where if you go to a different neighborhood, they'll ask you about a street pass. I think every hood in the United States have a street pass system. I'm just digitalizing that phenomenon. I'm just replicating that phenomenon in the digital world. And I think that... That's a serious key to, to the safety element that we, we've sort of covered is tying that street pass to as much as real world identity as possible so that if there are bad actor, if you do decide to be a bad actor, your street pass could be suspended, revoked, or worse, you could be arrested. The CIA or FBI can be at your door and you're gone. Mm -hmm. And I think the really interesting thing about security in general is uh you don't have to have the best security you just have to have better security than your neighbors and so why <laughs> right. would someone why would someone break into your house you know use your thing for such an evil evil acts if they can do it other ways much more simply and much more anonymously so right. i don't I, I generally think with these principles in place i i think you'd have to be like really silly to do it and then if they did then it just i mean they're gonna get caught really really fast exactly yeah, exactly. and then like the stories of getting caught, like I don't know, I don't. <laughs> I think it'll be suffer enforcement in terms of like keeping people off of it, especially if you know your neighbors are just much easier <laughs> to to you know like uh, right, find people right. and whatnot. Um, but let's be honest here: the streets, there's potential danger. That's part yeah. of the streets. There's potential danger. I mean, if you look at city, the cityscape colors, is is orange and red, you know, and and dark, you know, these colors are not arbitrary, right? You know, they're not arbitrary. Look at the streets, you know, the pavement. They're not they're not white, you know. Um, uh, orange is a color that implies excitement, but also danger. You know, so 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 I, I want to be clear, uh, you know. There are there are potential dangers there, you know, um, uh, and, and whether you're a scout or a regular cityscape user, uh, especially if you're going to a city to a secret spot that's unverified. You know, meaning no one, no one got a stamp there yet and validated that it is what it said. Any rapist could post a secret spot and you come there. That That's who's waiting for you. Right. So the, the, the Cityscape app has an element of danger from, from the go. And I want people to be clear about that. So so don't don't sue my ass. OK, 
but <laughs> you know uh, but that's that's part of you know the excitement too and uh me and a couple of friends of mine were big into security and and uh we we believe in keeping people safe and uh, we will do our best to keep people safe but i also want to let people know that the streets you know they're not always safe hmm. i also think if you could like designate what uh spots you're gonna check out if there is a sketchy one and you go missing there could be an alert sent and then you know who set the stamp Absolutely. and who's going there so it'd be really easy it'd yeah. be easier for people to get you help i think you'll still you'll still have a casualty you'll still have a potential casualty however right you will yeah you can't address the immediate concern but let's say we take the rape example you won't live in the basement that long <laughs> you know? exactly Which, you know, i mean exactly there's degrees of bad that's less bad <laughs> right, right. Um, i like that uh do you uh one question i have like i'll give us like three three four questions we'll call it because you've been giving me so much mm. your night even though this mm -hmm. has been really exciting right, right um uh with a population of scouts is it possible to find to like do an uh so i know that we were talked about how like there's certain like if you have a certain ethnicity you maybe won't fit in other places because you just don't up the crowd I, I wonder if there are people that can fit into any environment and then like how they do that and you can like research and then like present that as other things that would help scouts like discern more things i don't know is it possible to do meta learning on people who could go anywhere with your scout database right so i i once met a scout um who was he he was he was an actual spy um and he was he was he was half jewish half muslim and and he he he, he kind of looked both you know um mm -hmm. and because he was half jewish half muslim and he and he spoke both languages he was able to go deep in both worlds you know so i i think that was a unique situation where a person has a unique combination of backgrounds and they're able to infiltrate multiple worlds that normally a, a person can only infiltrate one, if any, you know, there are plenty of people who are not Jewish or not Muslim, so they can't infiltrate neither world. Right. But here's a person who can infiltrate two worlds that most people can't even infiltrate a single one. Um, so I have met people who could infiltrate multiple worlds, but I don't think a person can infiltrate all worlds. That's impossible. That's why it's so important that scouts are diverse, um, that they, 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 they come from all backgrounds, all shapes. Um, uh, and diversity goes beyond ethnicity, right? I think there's mental diversity as well. Yeah. Um, so I want scouts to be as diverse as possible. But I have met, like you said, people who are perhaps more flexible in, 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 yeah, that's, that's an interesting observation, um, so, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to, like, give cheesy compliments, but that's a really good sign of intelligence. If 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 you could make connections with rapidity. If you can infer connections with rapidity, that's a high sign of intelligence. So you're a smart guy, you know, put that put that shit to good use. <laughs> well, I, uh, I went to college at a place where, like, a student died every semester. Jesus Christ. And uh, there were like shootings and whatnot. But I would walk around at like two in the morning and I never had a problem. I was like, like walking down dark alleys. Wait, did, and stuff. did you grow up in a hood too? What's up? No, I grew up on a farm, but I went to, I went to college 
at a place that had like a second chance program, which uh, <laughs> and brought a lot of drug people over and they started like peddling it. Right, right. My kind of people. <laughs> uh, I I had a sauna with a drug dealer once, like a, a right, kingpin. He was right, like right, the right. he was the son of the head of a Latin King organization. Oh, dope. And I, ha- I was sitting in a sauna after working out, and he was talking mm. about how happy he is to go to school to right, have a different right. life than his father. I was like, this is a really neat conversation. Right, right, um, right. But, I mean, he was darker skinned. <laughs> so, well, remember, too, right? Just people in the underworld, not yeah. everybody in the underworld is bad people, right? Like, there are yeah. plenty of people in the underworld that are good people. And there are plenty of people in the corporate world that are bad people, like, yeah, make you everywhere. sick bad, right? So, so. I think a lot of the time when people look at drug dealers or prostitutes or whatever, they immediately think, oh, these people are like, they're the wretched of the earth. They're bad people. No, no. A lot of them are good people, right? A lot of them are good people. It's not even they're trying to get by. Some of them love this shit, you know? So I don't want you to see it like, oh, they're just trying to get by. Some of them are, for sure. Some of them are. Probably more so in a world of prostitution than drug dealing. Um, But... A lot of them know that's they, that's that's what they were meant for. They love the street life. They don't want they don't want to be part of the main economy, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But they're good people. Likewise, I've met plenty of people in the main economy in in corporate environments that are that'll make you puke. That's how sick and evil they are. So, um, no, just drug dealers are not necessarily bad fucked up people. There's plenty of them that are good. Um, there are plenty of people who do underground activities that you know you, you'd sit down and have a good time with them i really mean that yeah i met like a six foot tall guy with tattoos all over his body in an alley mm-hmm. and you you'd think that you'd be scared in that scenario but i was like no he looks friendly right so i just started talking to him he was, he was it was a very interesting conversation he had a right. he was going to a party um i felt like a lot of these people they grew up they're tough because they had to be tough yeah they especially if they're big tough. people big people mm-hmm. usually are pretty sensitive they know oh, really? that they're big. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've noticed that like if they're, I've always been friends with the big kids. So then mm-hmm. like, and then like, no, everyone would leave me alone. <laughs> right. Uh, even though I'm kind of, apparently I'm big too. I never realized this, but um, yeah, big people generally, they know that they're big. And so they're very, they tend to be a little, like a little cautious around people in terms of like right. their physicality. Um, I, I have like, most of the people I know that are over six foot, like it, a little, t- it takes a little effort for them to be physical with people because they're just always concerned they're gonna they're gonna crush them, <laughs> or oh, right, you know right. whatever. Right. I don't know how it works in lovemaking, but uh, they find a way. But, right, um, right. Yeah, like uh, right. E- even in football, like, I played football, and the biggest guys were ones that like needed a little coaching to like let it out. Oh wow, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. I mean, Percent, the big hearts, right, right, big bodies. Right. <laughs> Right now, I I love I love the streets, man. I love the streets. Um, it, you meet some of the greatest people. I'll tell you why I love the streets. You know, I love the streets because you meet very colorful people. They they, they you know they blow your mind. Their 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 life is so dynamic. I think that's mm-hmm. the word dynamic. There's a there's there's a lot of life in these people, as opposed to like a lot of the people that I've met. In the mainstream economy or at top schools, they're so used to following rules. They're so used mm. to living in a box that their life is not as dynamic. They're not dynamic people. You know, there's not a lot of life there. So um I, I don't I don't romanticize the streets. Like I know a lot of people, especially in a rap community, 
there's rappers who never grew up in the streets. They become rich, and then all of a sudden they want to be gangsters. That that's ridiculous to me. That's a, that's a step back. You know, like like why? You know what I mean? Like I never understood that. Like why would you take a step back like that? So I don't. I I think they take a step back like that because they don't understand that a lot of these people who are tough, they do it not because they wanted to, they had to, you know, you could, you could never like just start claiming you tough when you weren't forced in that environment, you know? So I don't have any romantic ideas about the streets. I think a lot of the people who are tough, like a lot of street tough people, they had to, that they had to survive, you know, and, and we should admire them for that. But like, for us to try to like you know regress back like that that's i think there's 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 a lot of stupidity and how people view the streets i think a lot of people especially in the hip-hop community they romanticize the streets and i don't romanticize the streets i think the streets has good elements bad elements crazy elements uh what i like about the streets is not the fact that there's a bunch of guys running around being tough i could give a shit about that what i like about the streets is that the people you meet there they're a lot more dynamic. They're, you know, these are people who don't live in a box. They're a lot more free. They do, they speak their hearts, you know, there's less filters, you know, they're more fun to be around. That's really what it comes down to as opposed to like a person who's so used to following the rule and playing the game so they could rise the social ladder of society. They don't display that same dynamism. They're not as alive because they're so used to following a protocol to 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 move up in a corporate hierarchy or to get in the best Ivy League schools or whatever. Um, uh, they, they're sterile in a sense, you know, as mm -hmm. opposed to people that I know in the streets. They're they're full of life. They're creative. They're they're much more dynamic. And here's a funny part: a lot of the rich people I met, they have more in common with street people than you know the middle class. I feel like the middle class, a lot of the time, I struggle to connect with them the most because a lot of the time, the middle class, they tend to live in that box. But a lot of the rich people that I've met, they tend to be, they, they tend to disregard the rules a little bit more. And when you look at people who are in the streets, they do the same thing. You know, they disregard the rules of society a little bit more. And I think those two people, those two have a lot in common, oddly enough. So the, the 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 rich folks and the street folks i think they have way more in common than than meets the eye mm -hmm. it's interesting the phenomenon you describe my wife i have a my wife and i have a term for it it's called fighting for beige <laughs> fighting for beige when you try to be like other people and you allow yourself to be homogenized by the pressures of of what other people will think about you and mm. most of the time people don't give a shit where you, you know they don't most people <laughs> even if you did the thing Right. you think that people would care about they don't care but like right, so many right. times people just don't even make the leap I, mm -hmm. I call it fighting for beige and so every now and again like last week someone was someone was trying to have an argument with me about beige like a beige subject and i i literally just started saying i i, I never fight for beige i never fight for beige right, right, <laughs> I, ended, right, right. I ended the discussion it was like this is beige you right, decide right. and leave me alone it's like uh, i've heard people who will have like discussions on like what side to put the toilet paper like uh, mm. inside or outside it's like that's beige figure it out on your own i right, don't care right, right. <laughs> like there, there there speaking of which speaking of beige there is a street character i don't like i think mm. there's there's there are street characters where that's all they know is the streets yeah that, that's their box their boxes i know people in new york their entire world is 53rd to 59th mm. 
That's that's their entire world, you know. So there are people where like, just like I told you, the middle class is stuck in a box of political correctness and stuff like that. There are people who are so caught up in the street world that they're stuck in that box. Mm-hmm. And and I don't really click with those kind of streets people neither because they're they're an automaton to me, just like you know, a lot of the middle class people like me. They're so caught in the game. They think the game is real, the street game is real. So I, I there there are you, the base phenomenon you talk about. It also happens in the street, believe it or not, where like hmm. like I did an episode on a prison called Rikers Island. And it's a prison in New York. And some of the shit these guys were doing to each other, some of the fatalities they were doing to each other in Rikers Island is outright just disgusting. I mean, throwing like boiling, scorching hot water in people's face to like melt their fucking face off type shit, right? They were doing that kind of shit at Rikers. All for street cred. Mm. All for, I mean, they're so lost in a game. You know? They're so lost in a game of like violence and dominance and outdoing each other's fatality splitting people's face open you know that you know but they're destroying themselves and each other right so so these people they're they're stuck in that box of the streets so 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 just because someone is necessarily a street person doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean like they're not stuck in a box neither i've met that i've met street people who are stuck in a box and i tend to avoid those as well but generally Generally speaking, um, I would argue people who are like in the underworld have a lot more dynamism than people who are in a mainstream economy. And there's another reason for that, too, because they're on their own and consequences are more real time. I mean, you do some shit in the street, it could get you killed as opposed to in a corporate world. You spread a rumor. You don't have to worry about someone coming back to buck you down. You know, in most cases, they wouldn't even have any repercussions for it. Right. False claims. Right, exactly. So so a corporate person is domesticated as opposed to like a, a, a street person. It's a wild animal. It's it's a it's a natural animal. I shouldn't say wild, because wild implies like un- uncontrollable. It's a natural person. As opposed to like a, a person who's stuck behind corporate walls, this is a domesticated person, right? So that's why I like the streets. That's why I fuck with people from mm. the streets. I don't romanticize this shit, and I'm only seeing Saying that because I'm tired of seeing rappers pretend to be gangsters carrying guns to airports. This shit is just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. There's a Channel 5 documentary on like a, a new type of rap that's in Chicago where they glorify mm-hmm. violence in particular. I'll check, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll send it to you. It's like really. Is this it guy drill music? Andrew, yes, drill rap. Yeah. Drill, drill yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, man. I'm on this shit. Yeah. By yeah, the way, I, I love like drill music. <laughs> yeah, I okay. love drill. <laughs> there's a rapper i listen to called pgf nook i love drill music you know what i'm saying so they all they all have really cool names right right listen i'm part of the problem too <laughs> you just you just prove i'm part of the problem i'm not perfect right i'm part of the problem too because i love gangster rap and i love drill music but culturally it's toxic and culture unless you have a strong mind you could easily take this shit seriously and those who don't have a strong mind will take shit like that seriously and it, it, it'll destroy themselves. Uh, but fortunately, I have a strong mind. I can understand it's just, just music and it's just, just games. But uh, yeah. weak minds don't. And it, it fucks them up. <clears throat> yeah. I think they, I think to your point, it's like separating the art from the artist. Mm-hmm. If they, at a certain point, one influences the other a little too much. And you're saying that you can have that art that's really good that you enjoy listening to, but you don't want, 
you, you're tired of the artist like living it for the sake of it to try and like rectify the difference no i think i think if an artist is a real street dude yeah that's fine but i've seen many oh, artists right like many people. artists exactly like for an example Lil wayne i mean come on like you know that guy, he was making money since he was a kid, right? I mean, he got signed to cash money, I think, when he was 13, 14 or whatever. So you, you can't really say this is a guy who had to, like, fight for survival, <laughs> you know? So so this guy's been making money since he was a kid, yet he's, he's, he's participating in gangs and carrying guns to airports. Like, you know, like, why do you need to carry a gun? Mm. Like, you don't you, don't you have to... for long. Right, yeah. right, right. You know, but he's trying to project... He's trying to project a persona and he's trying to promote a life. That's that's a step back. I mean, the whole point of getting rich is so that you don't have to carry a gun. You could live in a safe area. That's the whole point, right? You get rich to live in a safe area and not have to carry a gun. For you to get rich and go get a gun and bring it to the airport, that, that's backward thinking, right? And you're making fun of people who have to carry a gun to survive. You think they want to carry a gun? Most of them don't. They don't want to fucking have to worry about like who's gonna attack me and I have to defend myself, right? So like, I think I think these people they take things that real people have to do out of necessity, and they glorify it and commercialize it and they turn it into a subculture that's that has very negative consequences in a lot of young people. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, I listen to really boring music. <laughs> what do you listen I get to? to uh i earlier today i was listening to a guy named claudio monteverdi he's from the mm -hmm. 1600s right he right makes like music for like churches i think it's oh, nice you know it's uh it's meditative but i uh, i was listening to rise against the other day and like uh i like the 50 cent guy he makes nice music are, are you are you a christian uh i was raised lutheran but I don't know if I am anymore. I don't know. Okay. I think I think I think there's like structurally probably someone that is a god in the universe, and that's right, what right. physics is. But right, I don't right. know if he has a personality. That's a great point. Um. By the way, my headphone is dying. I have one earplug left. <laughs> so if you have okay. more questions, let's get them out of the way because I may have like five minutes on this because like this is okay. Dead, yeah, so this is we can we great. can wrap up. Um, uh, mm -hmm. and then we can. Uh, so the last two questions are. We talked a little bit about your tech stack. Was there anything else that's in your tech stack for what you're building that you don't mind sharing just so that other people can get excited about it? Right, right. So I'm on GitHub, by the way. So anyone who wants yeah. to see like what I'm, what code I'm pushing could find me on GitHub. My username is Sinquain. Uh, right now, Cityscape is mostly built in Swift. You know, I'm using Swift UI in a combined framework, which is based on, you know, it's basically reactive programming. It's based on publishers mm. and subscribers. Um, and I'm also using a lot of Node.js um, yeah. for like my cloud functions, you know. And that's it, really. So it's all built natively in, in, in Apple Swift language um, with their latest frameworks. Like I said, Combine is, their, is one of their latest framework. Apple recently came out with async await. I don't know how familiar you are with you know, mm -hmm. well, you write JavaScript, you should know what yeah. async await is. Yep. Um, and Apple just came out with that syntax now. So it feels incredibly familiar, uh, similar to writing JavaScript. And I don't know if you know what asyncs are. They're um, awaits are suspension. Promise, right? They're suspension points. 
You should just see them as suspense. Promise is something else. A promise. A promise is basically like um, um it allows you to basically catch results. They're, they're, they're both asynchronous programming, by the way, a hundred percent. But I think how you handle as a matter of fact, async or wait are basically promises made easy. Yeah. Right? Because because then you don't get prom- the, the right, dot right. then. Right, right, right. You you don't have a callback hell or any situation. You don't have a bunch yeah. of dot then, dot then, dot then, dot catch finally, right? So like await allows you to write much handle promises much better, right? Because you like would use await yeah. to handle a promise, right? Because whatever the promise return would come in your uh, um, await response. But oh, I think await, you should just see them as suspension points in your code. And I, I, I talk to a lot of like developers and they struggle with that. And, you know, just see a weight, async await suspension points in your code, right? Hmm. Return to this. Don't don't finish until this is done. Yeah, don't let it right? block and, you. Right. That might take five minutes. That might take 10 minutes. But, you know, the function shouldn't finish until this is done. Suspension co- points in your code. The reason why I say that is because a lot of the time, people write very interesting code after their uh, uh, await calls that never gets executed until that promise is returned, right? And they wonder what the hell is going on. Well, hmm. y- y- you have a suspension point up there, you know? So so that's why it's not being executed at when you want it, when you want it executed. So asynchronous programming is actually a little bit more trickier than people think because, you know, you're putting suspension points in your code and they might not always run when you want them to run. So handle them with kid gloves is what I say. But yeah, that's what I'm using right now. Lots of Swift, lots of uh, Node.js. And like I said, I'm currently learning Plutus, which is based on Haskell for um, Cardano um, uh, smart contract writing. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, I consider Node just JavaScript because it's very similar, even though like it has different functions. Well, Node is just JavaScript on a, on a, on a back end, yeah. right? On a server side, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah, it is JavaScript. Yeah. But I, was lazy, I, so I, I usually say so Node. The reason why I don't say I say Node, right? Because I see JavaScript. When I use JavaScript for the front end, I'm typically traversing the DOM, right? And I'm typically yeah. doing cool things. As opposed to when I'm using Node.js, I'm not worried about traversing a DOM. I'm not worried yeah. about DOM manipulation, right? So yeah, I'm in a whole... Right, right. I'm in a very different mindset, right? I'm worried about cores errors and i'm very i'm worried about very different stuff writing node.js and i'm worried about vanilla javascript or react i'm okay, not worried about props and state right so yeah that's that's why i, I say node.js because that that's a that framework puts you in a very different mindset than if yeah. you're using react or vanilla javascript mm-hmm. uh you did say that you were like all alone in terms of like building a little bit mm-hmm. um, are you looking for people to join your team is there anyone you're looking for that maybe someone listening would know them or are yeah, you totally. For, you need help. I'm looking for scouts. That's number one, yeah. of course. So if you're an explorer and you would like to, you would like to help me build this platform, I'm looking for you. You could reach me via James at cityscape.com. Um, yeah, James at cityxscape.com. Do not use an S in a cityscape. So it's city x cape. You know, so James at cityscape.com. If you're a scout, please, you know, shoot me an email. Uh, I'm looking for explorers that would help me build this platform. I'm also looking for an investor or multiple investors, right? Um, I'm currently in a seed round, perhaps. I'm looking to raise like a million dollars 
And yeah. that could be done by one investor. That could be done by two. Uh, but I'm looking for an investor, preferably with, in a tech, in a, in, with a tech background, because this is a Silicon Valley company. Um, and in terms of uh, developer, if I'm, I am looking for um, uh, an Android developer, because uh, uh, right now the application is only on iOS, I cannot maintain two code base, you know? Um, so that's what interns uh, are for. Right. Exactly. No, no, no. This is <laughs> no, way that's too a joke sophisticated that, yeah, no, that's for a, an intern. Uh, at, my, at my last startup, uh, we were bringing interns in because I wanted to help get, I like the idea of like bringing, raising up your team versus just mm -hmm. always hiring externally. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I, so I, I, whenever I hire somebody, I have a very clear, like people are working within like 30 minutes of being onboarded because I just have created the docs in such a way where they don't have to like, oh, I'm just doing stupid shit for the first two weeks. Smart man. Um, and so I was asking, oh, what can we have interns do? People are like, oh, well, they can maintain the shit. It's like, is that what, is that what, is it, does that build their skills and reveal things about their character that would make us want to work with them and like make them like increase their value? And and they were like, I don't know. I mean, it's right. worthy to do a little bit, but it was like kind of just like a joke. Right, right. I interns have no place in Cityscape right now. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> uh, there's just it's just too hard for you know even a junior developer to be honest. Um, One so time I hired a guy. I hired two people at the same time. One of them was a senior engineer. One of them was an intern. Uh, two weeks later, I asked the team who they thought they were, like what they're, because I, I never really go into titles to say like you're responsible for this, etc. Um, they guessed the intern was the senior engineer. How is he that person Facebook a now. senior? How, how is that person the senior it was, engineer? It was then? the it was the energy. Well, the, the other guy, uh, he was pro he was probably he was a senior engineer in a different way. <laughs> like he was not he was not long for the company. Um, right, right, right. He well. He was good at like talking the intern, uh, the interview game. That is all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'll oh, say. That was great. That was great. You know, I, I tell people all the time, like so many people fake engineering. Like, like, you know, I, some of my friends who are not from Silicon Valley, I tell them all the time, like I've seen so many fake devs, man. It's unreal. But oh, okay. you want to hear the, let's, I'll trade us the worst thing. And then maybe this will be the last thing we, we right, say, right, but right. I had someone who had headphones in being, uh, being told the answers and we could oh hear the God. person. We could hear the individual pausing going, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and the person saying the correct oh response. And we were like, we were like, hey, is there someone like talking or do you have like someone on the phone? And they're like, what? No. And they just turned it down. And then we like we asked a question that if you knew the information, you would just answer it really quick. Like just right, obvious right, right. stuff, like maybe like promises or something. Right, and they were right, like, right. JavaScript? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, yeah, awesome. I, I have better awesome. quality control now. So right, <laughs> right, good. right, right. That uh, is awesome. One of the things I think um, people and and interviews don't ask enough is um i think they don't ask about protocol oriented programming enough right because like hmm. i mean they call them protocol in swiss but in in a programming language like java they call them interfaces and um i, I think a lot of the time interviewers focus too much on like uh an algorithm an algorithm problem more oh yeah i never do they anything. ask some sophisticated you know, array question, like what's the difference between map or flat map or compact map. Um, but I think protocol oriented programming and also asynchronous programming 
there's a lot of, there's a lot of disasters that happen there so there should definitely be more focus on asynchronous programming and um, protocol oriented programming there's also a new pattern which is called a coordinator pattern mm-hmm. that apple recently came out with i don't know if people are asking those kind of questions in interviews now but if if you're interviewing for swift you should definitely ask people about the coordinator pattern uh definitely question yeah, heard subscribers and publishers too because subscribers and publishers we used to like back in the old days of ui kit we used to use these things called bindables to have like reactive state programmings they were fucking brutal i'm not even gonna get to objective c which is like you know oh god you know where you have to literally manually collect memory like you have to manually garbage handle as opposed to like now there's, there's this thing called a capture list where you could like you know deallocate things in a memory just using a capture list you could have weak references objective c you have to manually deallocate shit i cannot explain how hard that was but like not hard it was just really painstaking but anyway i feel like programming has changed so much to much more real-time reactive data is flowing so much faster that i think if you're hiring anyone in like the ios stack be sure to drill them on publishers and subscribers and you know be sure to drill them on like you know protocol oriented programming because that's you know that's that's super fucking important for for ios and we're so used to object-oriented programming questions that we forget that like pop that's the short for it protocol oriented programming is also a real fucking thing and like i said it's not it's not secluded to the world of swift java has them too they just call differently they're, they're called interfaces mm-hmm. usually but yeah <clears throat> It might sound like I know what I'm doing, but I don't. I'm just as clueless as the man next door. And whoever's listening to this should uh, wish me good luck. Because uh, I definitely would like to take scout life to the next level. Mm-hmm. You know, So that's about it. I, I'll need as much help as I can. And um, don't let this confident voice fool you. you know, um, I'm just as clueless as you. I'm, I'm navigating all this, you know, day by day. You know, so... Wish me good luck. Thank you for joining us today with the Learn With Lowell show. Check us out at learnwithlowell.com. Anywhere podcasts can be found. Subscribe. Tell me what you thought of this episode. Check us out on YouTube in particular. It's a new thing I'm doing. Uh, Timestamps and links are in the show notes. Thank you for coming. And I hope everyone, every one of you found something today that you're curious about to learn more about. And you'll go out and be curious and learn something new.